Audio conversation with Lauren Cutts, recorded August 6th, 2012. Lauren is an author and a researcher and a radio show host. He produces a show called High Strangeness for the recently uh, developed Global Radio Alliance. And I heard an episode of that show back in February and tried to get a hold of him. And the reason was that uh, this episode focused on uh, synchronicities and owls, both uh, things very close to my my own line of research as well as my own direct experience. So over the last, uh, I don't know what it is, like now six months or so, we've been emailing back and forth. And then last night, uh, sort of out of the blue, he says, yeah, let's do it. And I said, okay, great. And he said, uh let's do it tonight. And I said, great. So I made a cup of coffee and, uh, and then we went at it. It was great. Uh, we are on very similar tracks. I recognized this when I listened to his audio show back in February and I, um, and I, and I expected that the interview would go the way it did. Uh, we have a lot in common. Now, uh, what I did to prep for this interview, which wasn't really much, uh, I just listened to one of his shows. Uh, I re-listened to it for the second time. Uh, and it was a show that was broadcast in February of 2012. I'll put a link to the archived shows on his network page there. And um, the show is called High Strangeness. This show was produced in February of 2012. It, it features a woman named Bridget Barkley. Like Lauren, she is also from the UK. She is a lifelong abductee. And she talks about her experiences. And she also talks about synchronicities and owls, which I found uh, obviously very relevant. Now, let me also add that uh, Bridget Barkley and Lauren are engaged to be married. So there is a, a, well, there's an emotional resonance to that interview that I found uh, quite charming. Now, this is a kind of a long interview, so I don't want to take up too much time here doing the introduction. What I what I will say is that Lauren and I end up digging pretty deep, which I which I really like, and uh, and I wish I could do it more in these podcast things. Um, I, I just think it's important that uh, you know to try to get way below the waterline on these complicated and often elusive subjects. This interview runs a little over two and a half hours. Please enjoy. I was just listening to you and Bridget uh, on the High Strangeness of episode that was recorded back in February. Yeah, yeah, we did that in England, yes. And um, I had heard it at the time, and it was interesting to listen to it again right now. So, Yeah, I've, I've probably forgotten. So much has happened since then. I've probably forgotten some of it. But I remember the, the owls, and uh, I know that that's something that you're particularly fascinated by. Well, the, whether they're fascinated by me or I'm fascinated by them as little, it's the, where, the, where the mystery lies. Uh, you know, mostly synchronicitism. You know, I'd have huge discussions with people I knew about, or well, do these synchronicities have meaning? Do they mean anything, or are they just a byproduct of some other process we're unaware of right now? And, you know, that's a burning question. It's like, do these synchronicities actually have meaning? For the people that have them, sometimes incredible, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's just roll right into this. What I how I start every show is, on, and then we can just um, we can just kind of. Uh, this is our first time ever talking together, but uh, we can just uh, you know roll right into the conversation. I have very few things written down. I made some notes while I was listening to the show with you and Bridget, and here's how I start every show. So, Perfect. No problem. That's fine. Great. Yeah. So here, this I don't ha- I don't have any notes either. I'm just totally going from what's in my head. So good, good. And and, and I, you know, if you have any question for me, um, go ahead and and 
you know, feel free to ask also. So, um, hey, so this is the way I start every show. I'll just say, uh, you know, Lauren, thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It really means a lot to me. You're welcome. You, I have to say, you've been so persistent. You've been emailing me probably every week for about a year. Well, it's less than uh, a year. It's less than a year. It would have been since February. Awful <laughs> that it's taken this long to actually talk to you. Well, it hasn't uh, probably been every week. Yeah. It's probably been, you know, a few times a month. Let me put it that way. So. Right. Yeah. And, well, your persistence paid off. And uh, I think the, the thing that made it really come together was I was uh, up in northern Washington and I got a text from Ray saying, hey, Mike Cleland's on talking about synchronicities on Dolan's show. You need to come here. You need to listen. And I was like, I couldn't listen and I was really intrigued about so so you kind of name came up there and I, I think that's what made me think well you know what we we need to talk about that yes and and uh, the, the the synchronicity thing is something that um uh and I actually just wrote something down here like some of the stuff that you had said and and you were talking a lot about synchronicities in the interview that I just listened uh or more the conversation more or less with you and Bridget there is something and I don't know what it is whether there's a resonance that that the that the UFO phenomena projects outward, and it just creates synchronicities the same way that uh, you know a bright light would create reflections, uh, or whether the synchronicities are some are part of some grand plan, and there are you know uh, puppet masters behind the curtain creating the synchronicities for the desired effect. I, you know I. I I feel both of them are probably true on some level. It's a, it's a fascinating subject, and it's something I've spent probably the better part of that last year thinking about, and quite deeply. And I have huge debates with people about people who experience these outrageous synchronicities. Are they meaningful? Do they mean something? Or is it just some byproduct of some other process we, we've yet to understand, especially in relation to the UFO enigma? Uh, it certainly seems to be that, that certain people who are, for one of a better term, experiences attract these outrageous synchronicities. And, you know, I've recently, I, I've just had my head filled with Eve Lorgan's kind of stuff about how perhaps certain entities or beings are tinkering with people and playing Cupid or for malevolent or, or benevolent reasons, um, bringing people together. But what so that's kind of got me in a weird headspace regarding all of this, I'll be honest. But um, personally, I find the synchronicity thing almost more fascinating than the UFO enigma. And here's why. I believe if we study synchronicities and try and understand how these things can happen and be, which are mathematically improbable, if not impossible sometimes, actually, almost, that we might gain a, a wider understanding of, of the universe we live in. And certainly a, a byproduct of that would be we might then understand more about the UFO subject as well. So, you know, it, it's a big, huge subject. And I don't think there's too many people who's, who are in the UFO subject who are focusing solely on synchronicity. But it's kind of where I'm going. And it, it just seems to be a calling. And it, it keeps happening to me. It'll come in waves where I, I don't have anything for, you know, three months. And then all of a sudden the most outrageous synchronicity will present itself. Which is, to me, is fascinating because I don't class myself as a, you know, your common or garden experiencer. I mean, I've had UFO experiences and I've had maybe one or two entity experiences that are kind of on the periphery of my memory. But, you know, I'm not somebody who claims to have been abducted or taken many times. I'm not that person. So, you know, I, I have to ask, why is it happening to me as well? Is it happening to other people, you know? So what about you? I mean... 
I know you're fascinated with synchronicity because you, you appeared on Richard Dolan's show to talk about to talk about it. So I missed that. So what were you guys talking about? Well, so now, so um, I uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of things I want to jump back and forth. You you brought up about five things I'm going to get back to, but uh, I have had my own set of UFO experiences. Um, I am very cautious to say what I'm about to say, but I, and I, I'm going to walk around the block before I get to the point, but there is a chance and there's some indication given the puzzle pieces and the way they are fitting together of my life events that I might have intersected with the UFO abduction phenomena. Maybe. Now I'm, I'm very, you know, like I, I purposely added all those qualifiers to that because, um, if I, I, if I called myself a UFO abductee, I, it would feel dishonest. I, it doesn't right. feel honest in my core. So, um, but I've had enough experiences to know that something is intersecting with my life, and um, and 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 I'll and the reason. So I've had a bunch of life experiences uh, that you know I've had a missing time event. I saw you know I've seen uh, more than one what would be a UFO. I have had, um, uh, in 1992, 93, I awoke in the middle of the night and saw five gray aliens out my window, um, and then went promptly just went right back to sleep. Um, I managed to dismiss all of that (laughs) as, as, as nothing at all. But what, what happened is in the last probably five years, I decided about five years ago, I decided like, you know, I have to look into this. I have to look into these experiences. And as soon as I started looking into them, as soon as I started actively, you know, questioning and, and seeking the advice of, of, uh, you know, UFO researchers and people, what happened in my life was I was suddenly flooded with synchronicities. And I took that as completely, a form of confirmation. If it weren't for the synchronicities, I would still be in a very strong state of denial. I would occasionally right. pick up a UFO book and read it and go like, huh, isn't that interesting? But what has happened is the synchronicities have uh, acted as, as, a, as a confirmation to, to the reality of something. I don't know what it is, but something very real is, is, is uh, at play here. Well, that, that, that parallels really my kind of experiences in some way in that I, I seem to experience synchronicities way more than anything else about this phenomena. And maybe it's being uh, disingenuous to even link the synchronicities to the phenomena. Maybe it's a separate phenomena that needs studying altogether. But it does appear around the UFO subject, it seems, more than not. And um, it's fascinating what you said I need to pick apart what you just said now because we've got a lot to talk about here. So it's what's amazing to me is you said you saw these four or five beings then promptly went back to bed. And isn't that the way the subject works as well? I mean, someone said to me the other day, have you ever seen a landed craft? And I said, no, haven't, absolutely not. And I, about 20 seconds later, I was like, holy shit, I have seen a landed craft. How can I forget that? How can I not... And this is what happened. I mean, it, it, it actually blows me away that I can have this in the corner of my memory. It's not really there. But this maybe is the, is the way that subject works. Is I was on a train. I was actually a student conductor on a train coming down the Columbia Gorge in Oregon. And at this point, nobody at work knew my interest in UFOs at all. And we were coming down uh, the Columbia Gorge, almost in Portland, a place called the Sandy River. 
and to the left is a is a a park and um it was dark it was probably about 10 30 at night and the conductor of the train suddenly turns around and goes bloody hell it's like close encounters over there and i was like straight away my ears pricked up obviously of my interest in this subject and to our left in this park was what can only be described as i wouldn't say we saw a craft but what we saw was something that was shooting out shards of light that was so bright it couldn't have been anything conventional at all and it was spinning around in this park in a clearing shooting out these angle angles of light so bright that they were lighting up the, the side of the uh, locomotive and the cab i mean it, the, the amount of voltage it would have taken to to illuminate that kind of source was it was would have been unimaginable and, and so, quick question when would this have been like what year approximately this was, it was about uh, i guess about 18 months ago but here's what oh I'm, wow okay here's what i'm getting at the, the engineer saw it the conductor saw it i saw it there's three of us in the cab the engineer and the conductor promptly carried on bullshitting about you know everyday stuff i turned around I, I mean i watched it as long as i could we were going about 30 miles an hour past this thing and we didn't see it fly off or anything. All we saw were the lights on the ground in this park. And I promptly forgot about it. I think um, my roommate Jenna was picking me up that night. And I mentioned it to her. I said, you know, we saw this really strange thing in the park. But, you know, after that, it was gone from my memory until about um, six to eight weeks ago. And that what you said resonated with me about, you know, you saw these four or five beings and then went probably back to bed. You know, it's like this subject. Sometimes it's acting on the periphery of our our reality, our our consciousness. Now, the, what you say is is so consistent with the phenomena. Now, for instance, if it had been, in fact, you know, let's say, uh, you know, a Hollywood movie company, you know, doing a special effect there on the side of the train track, um, you know, it sounds like it would have generated more of a reaction. Right. Yeah, it was, it was really unusual, and I found the fact that, you know, we all just carried on as if nothing had happened, um, you know, it's curious. And you, you hear that again and again in, in these kind of experiences. Um, you know, it's almost beggars belief. I mean, you can see why non-believers don't believe, because it's like, well, if you'd really had that experience, you wouldn't have just gone back to bed, right? You know? Exactly. But if you, if you look at the literature and you look at what the, you know, the, the consistent elements in the reports are, the consistent you know, elements are absurd. You know, it is exactly that people will go back to bed. I talked to a guy one time and he, uh, had this weird, he fell asleep on the couch. He woke up. Uh, he's an experiencer. He's had a lot of, you know, what would be classic, classic abduction experiences. He woke up, um, walked to his infant child's bedroom. He opened the door, looked in, and there was a, there was like a cloaked figure, like, like the figure of, like out of some medieval, uh, uh, you know, hammer film uh, of, of a, uh, you know, a cloaked figure standing above his infant child's crib. And, you know, he said it was there. It was, it was real. It wasn't an imagination. And he looked at it, closed the door and went to bed. And he was like, in retrospect, he was shocked. I mean, there was nothing more, uh, you know, nothing could create a more powerful, um, uh, set of emotions than his own child and the safety of his own child. And there was, you know, uh, for all intent and purposes, like a, a monster above his child's uh, crib, and he just went to bed. Right. And that's, that's another thing that brings up another subject, is that, you know, you say he was a, a lifetime abductee. I mean, you know, the way this subject also interlaces with other 
paranormal events i mean was that was that a you know kind of a haunting event or was it another paranormal event or was it something that's related to the abduction phenomena or you know like it that that you know it or is it just one giant meta phenomena that that somehow encompasses all these other things you know i mean like whatever i have a funny story about a crop circle that seemed to um you know i was sitting at my desk one time this would have been in 2002 and i was sitting at my desk and then i i kind of recognize these thoughts they just pop into my head and i just had this thought like I live in this little town in Idaho. It's a rural little town. There's a, you know, sort of hippies that go to the uh, yoga center and stuff like that. And I, and I was, I just had this thought. It's like, we need a crop circle. And, and I was, my thought was like, that would be fun. It would shake things up. It would give, you know, it would like, you know, like that's exactly what we need. We need a crop circle in this town. And the thought just popped into my head without any, you know, I didn't have to arrive at the thought by, you know, going through a little, uh, a chain of other thoughts. And then, um, the next day, I'm walking down the street, and this uh, this friend of mine, this woman, stops me on the street, and she says, "Hey, Mike, um, you hear about the crop circle that formed last night in uh, in the next town over?" And uh, so, uh, so, so, yeah. I mean, I don't understand what that what that meant, but I I do recognize that that thought that popped into my head was unusual, and then to have it followed up like that. And and you bring that up, and it's like I'm almost coming to a point where I'm thinking. Yes, we shouldn't look at all of these these uh, different phenomena as separate. We should look at them all as maybe one large phenomena. And maybe it's all to do with consciousness. Maybe it's to do with consciousness, that something is interacting with our consciousness that takes many different forms. And maybe the flying saucers or the entities or the ghosts or the crop circles are just different sides to the same cube. Yes, I agree completely. There is there is some sort of overriding meta phenomena, and then and then uh, what's this? Brad Steiger speaks to this. He basically says it's all the same phenomena, and um, you know it's there very well may be different branches of the same tree, but we're we're but I, I'm convinced that it's all connected somehow, and right. synchronicity is part of it. Absolutely, and I think that synchronicity perhaps hold the key holds the key to maybe understanding this phenomena personally that's a, it's a gut feeling it's just an intuition um i think that the, the synchronicities by studying those and perhaps consciousness research will hold the key for a lot of this stuff i'm going through this phase right now where i go i, I get this like once in a while where you know you've been reading about this subject for i don't know 16 17 years and you, you Every so often you kind of reset yourself. It's like I want to rip everything up and start again and almost like approach it from a whole new angle. And I think that this last year or two is me doing that in terms of like focusing on synchronicity and maybe not not just separating the UFO subject out. And what humans are really, really good at or terrible at, it should be, is they're really good at forming factions. So, you know, the ghost the ghost investigators don't talk to the ufo people the ufo people have split themselves up into like six or seven different camps you've got, <laughs> you've got the nuts and bolts camp and then you've got the all the new agey spiritual camp and, and so it doesn't help i think trying to make sense of this bigger picture you know we spend a lot of time arguing amongst ourselves and with each other and uh, you know it, about something essentially we have very little da- data about <laughs> so it's hard to be all righteous saying well i'm right and you're wrong if if really we don't really have that much data and 50 years on in the ufo subject i think we're still grappling around for basics in many respects you know 
Well, I think that there's the, the, the nuts and bolts people will will just throw out certain things that just won't fit their data. So they'll just like, okay, I'm not even gonna like I'm not even gonna recognize this. And then the, the love and light folks will um, do the same thing. You know, they'll throw things out or they won't look at something objectively or um, but but there is uh, you know, there's all these elements and, and if you've if you you've basically said you've been looking at this phenomena for 16 17 years and you've sort of had to start from scratch well you know you do have a foundation with all that um you know that research that you already have done um in place well, I was re reading books for 16 17 years i mean i've only been really researching the last couple seriously so but you know and every experience that i have i'm treading this kind of i think the best way to describe it is i feel like i'm treading this fine line this is something else i really want to talk about between being somewhat of an experiencer and, and then somewhat of a researcher. And it's a really uncomfortable line because I think a lot of people will not take you seriously if they, if you, they, they think you're one of them. You know, oh, you're one of those people that sees things. And that's, that's I mean, the culture we're in. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, as soon as you're a UFO researcher, no one's going to take you seriously anyway. You have no credibility. So, <laughs> so what difference does it make if you're an experiencer or not? So... Um, that's a really healthy way of looking at it actually I haven't really thought about that too much I think I'm surrounded by believers so I don't see myself as too much of a freak you know yeah I mean I've, I, that's the thing that uh, you know uh, Richard Dolan has, has you know sort of alienated himself from from certain folks because he's stepped out of the periodically he'll step out of the bounds of the uh, the strict historian and then you know he wrote a forward I can't remember who or the woman's name he wrote a forward to somebody's book and it was kind of a you know what would be considered a very new agey look at the phenomena he wrote a forward to her book her book and you know someone said you're going to lose credibility and he basically said i have no credibility um so right. yeah I, I i and i am just on the opposite realm of things where i almost feel like the what i'm doing the research i'm doing is completely uh subjective it is not objective at all i am uh, immersed in my own set of experiences. I'm wrestling with them. I'm grappling with them. I'm trying to make sense of them. Uh, and that is and the... Not, and I think that's part of the human condition. You're shaped by your own experiences. And in many ways, your experiences shape your reality. What you believe, what you possibly even see. And, and, and the, you know, I think that this subject... Uh, I think in my experience, I mean, this is kind of where I'm, I'm tending to go towards. I think that maybe um, we need to redefine our concept of reality because maybe everybody's reality is slightly different. I mean, there's a plethora of um, cases where people have been on the ground next to somebody, seen a UFO, and people, you know, 20 yards away haven't seen anything. And likewise, I, I mean, maybe perception is reality. Now, obviously, we all share this one reality to a certain percentage but is the is the, is the rest of it made up of our own personal consciousness experience yes and and then can something you know are you know is are, is is like the experiencers i'm going to use you know some new agey terms here is there resonance like on a dial where they're set to receive this or is the occupant of the ufo do they have the dial and then they just set it like, okay, I'm just going to, there's two people in the car. I'm just going to make this uh, appearance and only one person in the car is going to see it. And the person sitting right next to them won't have any memory or recollection of, of this event at all. Um, you know, where, where does consciousness, 
I mean, talking about consciousness is like, you know, that's, you're getting into kind of, you know, whatever bong hit territory at some point, uh, <laughs> trying to make, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a slippery slope to try to define it. I mean, there's, there's theologians and, and professors at universities that, you know, have spent a lifetime trying to define it and they still, it still doesn't have a definition that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And then we also run into, I know me and you have had some back and forth on uh, the internet about this, the problem with language this you know, trying to describe some of this stuff. Uh, and, and attaching words to some of it is problematic too. Experiencer, abductee, I mean, these labels, none of them really seem to feel right or fit right, but we don't really have any other words to describe some of these things. Yes, and if there was, if someone could invent a new word, I would happily, you know, adopt it, um, you know, and, and so all each one of those terms has their own baggage, you know, and, um, but uh, as, and as does UFO. You know, I mean, UFO is yeah. just an acronym for unidentified flying object. And that's that is a very safe, simple acronym when you get right down to it. But but it, we have attached baggage to it culturally. Definitely. Definitely. But, you know, I think that the wh wh where I uh, run into problems with the whole maybe the, the UFO community right now and the culture. And I think this is, you know, been spurred on in, in, in a great deal by the Internet and the. Uh, the advance in the internet, uh, the spreading information. I mean, we live in this society now where the term UFO to most people actually means extraterrestrial spacecraft. There's not really too much dialogue about what these things, if real, possibly are. And that's a real problem. I mean, the, you know, I think we're talking about problem with language. That's a problem with language right there. The definition of things uh, changes over time and, it, and it get, things get attached and twisted you know absolutely yeah yeah hey so so you are doing an audio program for um the global radio alliance called um uh high strangeness yes and um you are also working on two books at the same time if i'm not mistaken yeah well the books have had to be put onto the back burner because what happened was i um i started doing my radio show in January and um, pretty much I think show two which was the one you were saying you were listening to earlier with Bridget um, we, we ran into problems with the network we were on which was Inception Radio Network and basically like three shows myself, uh, Eyewitness Radio and Truth Theorem Radio we all started our network and this happened incredibly fast it happened in about three weeks we didn't know what we were doing we didn't know anything about it and then before we knew it, we had Richard Dolan saying he wanted to do a show with us. And so we, we really, you know, just came out of nowhere and hammered this thing together. And we're now only months later finding out what it actually is to, to operate this thing. And, you know, we, we were totally unprepared for the amount of listeners and hits we're getting. So we're having to rebuild another website. I mean, it's, it's gone crazy. Um, so we really, um, all my writing and my research has taken a back seat, and it's awful because I feel like a little bit of a fool when I go on and say, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a UFO researcher, because for the last three, four months, apart from doing a little bit of stuff with Tom Reed, my life's been taken up by the radio network, and that's the, the reality of it. This is this is interesting, because I did, I mean, I, I mean, just, I was watching it from the outside, and I'm one of these people that, you know, uh, uses the internet a lot to connect with people and to do my whatever my research in a way but i mean reading just just reading stuff and then i was sort of shocked that all of us I, I could sense the kind of steamroller 
phenomena that was taking place with this with the network as it was as it was coming online. Yeah, it's been it's it really has been uh, a great experience. I mean, it's it's been a learning experience, and we're still learning every day. And we've just recently uh, taken on Margie Kay, who works for Missouri and uh, MUFON in Missouri, and um, she's a very renowned psychic, and she's a partner now. And uh, with Margie comes a lot of business experience and acumen, which is kind of what we were lacking. We we kind of. Uh, you know, we just wanted to operate our radio shows and maybe host a few other shows. But um, we, we really need someone to organize it and help us with the, uh, the day-to-day stuff. So Margie came on board. And so that's where it's going. I mean, we're looking now to expand to the UK um, early next year. And it's onwards and upwards. I mean, uh, I think there's nothing else like it. And um, it just keeps going from strength to strength. It has kind of a momentum of its own. So here, this is the, here's um, where you live. It's... 2012 now we live in a world with uh you know mp3 players and such like that How, what is it actually on a radio network i mean can people drive in their car and like click their little radio on and listen to it on on a on a standard radio not right now um but that's something we are looking at very seriously in the future uh, hoping to get on xm radio or um, sirius or something like that um but right now we're, we're still trying to get the you know ironing out the the cl- the uh iron out the kinks and it's you know, we're still trying to um, get the right team together as well. We've got some great shows, but we probably still have room for a few more. I don't know if you're interested, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's interesting. So what I've done is almost just is is uh, I started doing podcasts. I was like, you know, realized like, well, heck, it can't be that hard. And uh, I bought a $19 mic- headset that I'm talking to you on. And uh, yeah. Uh, then you know Skype and Skype recorder. And, a, and I have GarageBand on my computer. And I, without... Without really doing anything, expending you know, except the the run you know whatever pretty standard issue computer on my desktop, um, I've started. I have must have like seventy hours of audio interviews posted online at this point. Fantastic, yeah. I think the problem the problem lies in that you know not all podcasts are created equally. There's some really awful quality out there. Some of them flat out boring. I mean, yours is like you know exceptional. I think. Um, but I think what, what what the idea was behind the network was that there's powers in numbers. And here's here's the thing. If we can attract people like Richard Dolan, who has his, you know, Beatlemania following, as we call it, and a couple of other, you know, big names, then the other shows, the lesser shows, benefit from that. And it's, it's, it's there's more strength in numbers, you know. Sure, sure. Hey, um, and the, you're working on two separate books or, you know, they're, they're somewhere on yeah, your... Where we're at is um, I'm working on a book with Bridget, my fiance, and she's um, in the UK. Um, she, we started uh, picking up on what Nick Pope had started. Nick started working on a book called The Alien Within in the 90s and did about four years of work with Bridget. And, and it's pretty in-depth. She, she went to see Bud Hopkins in New York, um, rest his soul, uh, Dolores Cannon. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of work already done. But so what I have is raw notes from that period, but of course there's a lot's happened since then, and we, we've in fact had our own experiences together. But here's what's happened: um, you know, we had these amazing synchronicities that kind of brought us together. Um, we then started a relationship. We then got engaged, and so now, of course, you know, I've made the fatal human error of um, getting too close to what I was studying. Uh, but that's by the by now. So I think the the, the kind of focus on this book has changed it's going to be more of a personal account of 
of how we came together and Bridget's experiences before we met, which like have their basis in Nick's work. But you know, it's not going to be some serious, uh, heavy academia. It's going to be more of a, you know, a personal writing, I think, at this stage. It has to be by by what's happened. Yeah, and that's I mean, there's a human drama here, which is which is to me what's interesting. I'm 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 not an academic, and and I sort of you know, and I sort of. Uh, I'm very much an artist, you know, so I sort of treat these things as, you know, emotions first and then, and then work around those emotions. And, you know, some, my emotions yeah. presently are, are, you know, whatever I'm challenged, this is confusing. So that's, that's the, the, where the stuff is welling up for me. You know, I spoke to, you're obviously familiar with uh, Leo Sprinkle. No. Oh, really? Okay. So Leo Sprinkle is a, a UFO researcher out of uh, Laramie, Wyoming, and he has been uh, doing, he's probably 81 years old now, and he's been doing um, active UFO research since, I think, 1960. So that's a little over 50 years of, of his doing uh, research. Well, I have, I have that's interesting. Well, right. he, and so he shows up, I mean, he was uh, the... Um, the Hickson uh, event that took place in in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, he was there to do uh, um, uh, hypno- hypnotic regression. He was, I think, he was one of the first people to hypnotize um, uh, Travis Walton after his event in the mid '70s. So he's kind of like been at every you know pivotal point in the modern history of the abduction phenomena. Now, you know what, and and then I will also add that he came out. Uh, in I think the early '90s, and basically said, you know, yes, I too am an abductee. Uh, oh, interesting, right? And and uh, you know, any sense of uh, tenure that he may have had at his college, <laughs> and just the way he was well, treated at his college, is, is, yeah. So he was, uh, so he was already on treading on, on wow. thin. And then he's like, yeah. oh yeah, by the way, I've been abducted too. Um, <laughs> and then uh, so he, a very very amazing guy. Oh my gosh, if you know, if he would be well worth the interview. Um, just a just a warm-hearted, uh, amazing character, and he. Um, so so I asked him, uh, like you know, how do you stay objective in this in this realm? You know, and like how do you keep your feet on the ground and, and then and then stay objective? And he was like, oh, you don't, you can't, you just can't. It's not going to happen. It won't happen in any scientific field, and, and it especially won't happen in this one. So just right. know that going into it, and that was the best advice I ever had, is just so, you know, as I approach yeah. these things, I'm approaching them knowing full well that I can try to be objective, and I can throw a few, you know, caveats into my sentences to say that I'm not being objective, but I'm, but, you know, uh, so, so yeah, I just, I think that sounds great that you're doing that book with Bridget, yeah. and, and then and it's... The, I mean, it's surprising. I think that, you know, there's quite a lot of big name people in this field who have had experiences that don't talk about them. And I, I, I know of at least three off the top of my head. And maybe they're, you know, there's two two things here, isn't there? There's one is getting the truth out. But the second is, is how do we do that in a way that's going to be effective in our culture and our society? And maybe they're right not to talk about their experiences and until they're in their 70s or 80s you know maybe that's going to you know affect change sooner i don't know i mean for me i personally i'm coming to the viewpoint where i have to tell the truth i have to speak of my experiences no matter how crazy they are and people can like it or lump it like as you said you know we're in we're in the ufo subject 50 percent of a society at least thinks we're all screwballs anyway so you know 
Absolutely, yeah. And then, so yeah. yeah, so one of the, so, and that thing that they, the, you said the three people uh, that you know of in this field, and, and I have, I, I don't know how, I, I know, I've been taken aside, or people have taken me aside in conferences firsthand, um, and spoken about their uh, firsthand experiences, and I'm, I was just like shocked. I'm like, oh my God, I had no yeah. idea that, and yeah. so in someone who just came out, this would have been, uh, and started talking about his own set of experiences, and this just happened in uh, December of 2011. Was Colin Andrews, the the cropsicle researcher from from the UK? Yeah, I saw a lecture of, of his uh, about three years ago, and I have to say, just from the lecture, you could kind of tell. I mean, he was talking very um, like somebody who'd experienced things, you know. And it was a great lecture actually for it. It was really, really excellent. So there you go. So there's someone who's had a firsthand experience, and it and it and it you know there was a there was a heightened sense of resonance because of his firsthand experience. I've gotten to the point now where I just assume that like uh, I want to say a hundred percent, but that's obviously not accurate. But I mean, almost everyone who is researching this subject, I am convinced, has had some sort of contact experience, or they wouldn't be researching some, it. Yeah. Something to br- to bring them to it. Yes. Yeah. I think there's the odd one or two who are just. Uh, fascinated by the subject and maybe haven't but yeah i think i think it's a huge percentage right and i mean you asked about my, my books uh, the second book i'm working on um is it's got a rough title of none of the above i'm not sure if that's going to be the final title but that's what i'm working with um and it really is uh trying to take a fresh approach to this whole entire subject and we've talked about some of that earlier on looking at the bigger picture in in in, in uh in a different way as well, not not trying to perhaps lump these things in, into containers, you know. And um, that's probably not going to come out till after I finish the Bridget book. I mean, but it's about two-thirds written. It's very difficult. It's, at the moment, it's very, very heavy. And I need to kind of go through it and address that. I mean, obviously, the subject is heavy in itself, especially if you're trying to come at it with a new approach. But... I still want it to be easy and accessible to read. And I think that there's a problem, you know, trying to marry those two up sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's where, oh, how to say it. I just, I'm, I'm very impressed with the, with the internet presently because there is a, um, oh, how to say it. There's sort of a grassroots phenomena taking place. Uh, there's a lot of people writing about their own firsthand experiences online, oftentimes in a blog With format. And, yeah. And yeah. and so you can kind of get online. I mean, Whitley Strieber would be one example of some, a very public face who's writing about his own experiences. In You know, he's basically, you know, like he'll, he'll say, like, last night I had a dream, and I'm just writing it here because I thought it was, it, it felt prophetic. And Or he'll say, like, you know, um, you know, Yesterday, I had an experience that involved, uh, you know, a shift of my consciousness, and and he'll write yeah. about that in the moment. And then other people will. Uh, Whitley is a very skilled writer, and then other people, um, how to say it, aren't skilled writers, but they're writing from a place of 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 very real passion. Yes. And uh, and I just find that so fascinating to have that. What I was um, thinking about the other day actually was you don't see this on Facebook at all, and at least I haven't. Is when is people posting about something that may have happened to them last night, you know, saw a UFO last night, got abducted last night. It's almost like they don't use Facebook in that way so much, but maybe they do in the blogs and that's, that's the difference. 
or, you know, what actually they'll say is like, you know, here's my blog post from, you know, from, from this morning. Yeah. And it talks about my experience last night. I could come up with a few examples of, of folks who have, yeah. you know, fit that example. And, and, um, uh, and I have had now here, let me just, how has Facebook played a role in this for you? Uh, I think it's been instrumental. I mean, I don't think without Facebook, Bridget would have been able to find me so easily. And that really, I mean, basically what happened was, for me, I, I started messing around with um, writing. And I started writing articles for UFI Matrix magazine in the UK. And I had no intention of going into this in any big way. I just wanted to stay on the very periphery, maybe do the odd article every three months, and that was going to be me. And what happened was I wrote this article about Isetti and James Gilliland, went to interview him. Uh, the article was published, and then I got an email via Facebook from from Bridget, I didn't know her from Adam, never heard of her before, saying that she'd read my article and she'd had a dream about me, and it was very important that we meet, sorry, talk. And so I was like, oh, oh you know, crazy person. I didn't really pay too much attention to it, and she was very persistent. She emailed me a couple more times and said, look, I, I really want to talk to you about something. So anyway, we started chatting on, on Facebook. So Facebook was in instrumental in that. And, you know, that was like the tap that just opened up. We just had so many synchronicities, like, straight away. It was f the dream that she had. She said that my my uh, right eye was twitching uncontrollably. Well, my, my right eye at that time had been spasming uncontrollably for a couple of months. And um, so, she, you know, that was obviously correct in her dream. Uh after that, a number of other crazy synchronicities that, I mean, you couldn't, couldn't make up. I can go into them if you want, but they, here's, here's, the, here's a couple that just off the top of my head. Um, she sent me her experiences, some of her UFO experiences, and one of them was entitled Topanga Tones. And Topanga is a community just outside of L.A. It's a very beautiful community, um, very hippie-ish. And she'd had an experience in Topanga, California in 1993, which started with ringing in her ears and this was only about three or four weeks after a major ufo event on the 405 freeway in which there was hypnotherapy sessions that indicated she may well have been abducted but anyway so this was kind of almost like maybe a byproduct of that large experience but it was three or four weeks later so she had this story called topanga tones well i found that absolutely remarkable because when i first moved to the states in 2006 I'd started suffering from tinnitus ringing in the ears. And I fell in love with Topanga at that time. And I wrote a piece of music called Topanga. And I started that piece of music with tones that was close to the tones in my ears as I could possibly get, as some kind of way of trying to deal with it psychologically. And so there was this amazing synchronicity that seemed to be outside the bounds or confines of linear time. I mean truly remarkable to us anyway i'm not sure with these synchronicities i'm never quite sure how remarkable they are to people listening in but to the people experiencing them i can guarantee you they were absolutely mind-blowing to us and another one was just off the top of my head um i would write it was writing at the time for a railway magazine in the uk and called railways illustrated and my very last published article had been about an area in england um and in the very first paragraph of this article, which was probably written about six months before Bridget called me, um, in the very first paragraph, right at the very beginning, 
two villages where Bridget had had her very first UFO experience and the most recent one. They were like literally one sentence apart in the very first paragraph of this article. Now, it took quite a while to, to, to notice this synchronicity, but again, I mean, it's, these, village, these places are tiny, tiny little villages. They're not towns. I mean, they're like, you know, a few hundred people. I mean, it's kind of obscure. Again, I mean, th these kind of things just, do they mean something? Are, are they, they certainly hint that, that if these keep happening again and again, what do we really know about our existence here and, and the way the universe operates? Because, as I said before, mathematically, they're so improbable. And when they start stacking up one after the other, that makes them obviously even less improbable. Um, so, you know, basically that, let's go back to your point about Facebook. Facebook was instrumental in meeting Bridget, who then proceeded to push me out. She said, you need to go into this subject full speed ahead. You need to do it. And, and, that, and I kind of was sitting on the fence for a long time, I think, thinking, no, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I still kind of was at a stage where I was uncomfortable talking about my experiences and my, even, even my thoughts and feelings on this subject. You know, I was kind of in the closet, I think, for want of a better phrase. And meeting Bridget really pushed me out and, and went, you know, no, go for it. Just keep writing. Uh, through that, obviously, the radio show happened and um, many other experiences. So um, Facebook has been remarkable, really, in promoting the network and my writing, everything. I mean, it, it's, it's an invaluable tool, but it's a kind of love-hate thing I have with it. It's, you know, I, I really can't stand it most of the time, you know, and, and I really, really... I'm also, you know, I'm trying to use it just for promotion. And then people, that, that, that doesn't work either because people want to interact. They don't just want you to see your oh, new show on GRA or something. You know, they want to, to actually interact like you would do in a, in a social situation sometimes. Uh, yeah, and I, and I have had some of the most profoundly strange synchronistic events, uh, and they are directly tied to Facebook. And I, I don't, I mean, the, the, so Facebook is a network, right? It's connected to the World Wide Web. So the World Wide Web isn't like, it's, it's not like in a, in a computer somewhere. Like, it's not like in Silicon Valley and all the cables go into the World Wide Web. It's, a, it's like sort of a cloud network that's everywhere all at once. And then you layer the, the, um, you know, Ethernets in the, in the, uh, wireless, uh, internet connections so there is something that has never happened in human history oh. there is a a sort of a electronic digital soup of information of a very very personal information of of very human information it's not just a bunch of uh, you know banking numbers going back and forth like you know what computing may have been uh, 30 right. years ago uh now uh, and i and i am and i am very convinced that there is a a power and a sentience in that uh, that cloud uh, that cloud technology. I, I'm a big believer in you know as above so below, and I think you can you can maybe learn a lot about the the universe by studying sort of smaller things. I was a gambler in a casino. A, a gambler. <laughs> That's a Freudian slip. I was a table games dealer in a casino at night. I used to work eight hour nights, and for a large part of that time. Um, I didn't have anybody at the table. I was just standing there, um, and I would s spend a lot of the time thinking about the casino and the odds of winning and what those machines there do. And you'd see people winning big and then putting it all back in, and the law of prob probability and possibility everywhere surrounding you. 
and the way that even time seemed to go funny in there i mean it's like it was a it was a good time to be thinking a lot about this stuff and i think that's the true of facebook what i was saying earlier you know um that everybody's reality is different and if you look at people's facebook pages everybody logs in they get a different set of information their reality on facebook is different to the next person yeah yeah and then and then it's it's also um you know that's how i met susan chancellor was through facebook and she and i have had yes, so many yeah. um synchronicities that it's like laughable um and uh so yeah so i've met so many people through facebook the ability to uh, I don't know how to just get the pulse of certain things within the UFO. I'm going to even say like the community of UFO abductees is Facebook is amazing. You know how you can yeah. click on the little thing that says, um, you know, uh, you can look at someone's list of friends, a complete stranger, somebody you've never met. You just notice someone like, Oh, I'm going to look at their list of friends. And then you immediately can size them up. It's like, Oh, this person is a nuts and bolts character. I can just see by their list of friends and, or, or this person is, you know, uh, obviously an abductee because of their list of friends. And, you know, I'm obviously being, uh, a little bit flippant here, but, but you, you do get what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you know, there's no doubt about it. Facebook is, it's it's dominating our our existence right now in some way you know you, you go down to the local bar here and i hear other people's conversations it's like did you see such and such posted such and such on facebook oh yeah i commented on that i mean you know some some ridiculous percentage of even real life conversations are kind of formed around activity on facebook it would seem yeah yeah it's it's amazing that this there was no such thing as facebook just a few years ago and now and now it does seem to play such an important role and um and i mean that's how i connected with you i do think there's a lot of hidden dangers with it and i think um richard dolan actually touched on this i only caught about 20 minutes of his show the other night but he was talking about some sociologist who was talking about this and uh you know basically you know we used to all interact using social etiquette such as uh you know we'd find common things in each other like you like the same music as me or you believe in ufos so that's how we socialize and network kind of was formed around that kind of human condition uh, human sensibility uh, but actually is it turning in on itself now because it's like do we just focus on on, on facebook do uh, how many of us are even interacting in the real world so much you know Yes. You know, I work at an outdoor school and um, I'm just about to turn 50. I don't work as much as I used to at the school, but uh, we run 30 day courses in the mountains. Um, and one of the things that I think is so vitally important, I think everyone should do it, you know, like once every couple of years is to, um, you know, is to basically just go on a media fast, walk yes. away from, from the computer, walk away from the cell phones, just in, uh, and just, um, in the community that we would live in in these courses was a small community of usually around 12 to 16 folks 16 would be a big group so you spend 30 days with 16 people it is a it is a remarkably powerful bonding human experience i you know i'm as guilty as the next person as well i mean you know I, when i when i go over to see bridget she kills me because i'm constantly looking at my phone you know, like it's almost like an addiction, and you don't even know it. It is know. an addiction. It's not like an, yeah. it is. It is an addiction, and I and I suffer from it. You know, so I, I uh, yeah, and I have to be careful, and and I recognize I, at least that it's an addiction. Yeah. I guess at yeah. least that it's an addiction. I came off Facebook for about three months at the end of last year, and I have to say I didn't miss it at all. But you know, what suffers is your networking 
with with other people in this community i mean it's like you don't exist i mean i'm sure if you 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 had some good books out you could do that quite quite possible i mean jacques valet doesn't have a have a, a facebook account you know i mean you can exist but but i think if you're kind of uh, you know trying to to make a name for yourself or even just make some headway and get your your uh, thoughts and ideas out it is an absolutely invaluable tool you know it's absolutely yeah and i can i mean i just that's how i promote my my uh that's really the only promotion i do for my for my online vlog yeah. is i'll you know once i if i do a new post i'll just put a little yeah. facebook notice up and that's it hey you talk about synchronicity so here's one i just got an email right i asked i wrote to jack valet and and um he i asked him to come on my radio show high strangeness and earlier on he'd replied with this very um i wouldn't say negative but you know very kind of uh dour response let me read it out to you it says dear lauren given the current state of the field it is probably more productive for me to continue quiet research behind the scenes rather than trying to speak publicly i have been declining all interviews because anything i would say would be lost in the noise people just want to hear about roswell and abductions and they already know the answers so they don't need research they are simply looking for confirmation of what they already believe cordially jacks so what do you think about that? I mean, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Well, now I can say, I mean, just having read all his books, like literally all his books on, on the UFO subject, um, that I, I would suspect strongly that he is doing research, and I suspect that his research is at a very high standard. So uh, I, really? I, I would say like, well, you know, that's, you know, maybe when he, if he publishes another book, um, he'll come back on the circuit a little bit, but, um, oh, that's great that yeah. you at least got through him. He, when he, um, he did come out of the, you know, sort of, uh, you know, you'd come out of the woodwork at, at one point just in the last, oh, probably two years ago and did a series of interviews after, uh, the yes. book that he did with Chris Albrecht. Is that his name? And it was yeah. called wonders in the sky. Yeah. 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 So he, he yeah. did a handful of interviews there. It was great to hear his, and he showed up and, and he also, didn't he do a recently a book on, uh, 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 remote viewing. I think he was a co-author. The last thing I saw was the TED lecture he did, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I know from communication with him that he's really studying synchronicity uh, more than the UFO subject. Uh, and that was the kind of bones of his TED lecture as well. Um, oh, that's I have not seen his TED lecture. Oh, that's great. I'll yeah, look at that. It's amazing. Uh, he talks about some of the synchronicities he's had in his life he's had you know at least three that are quite remarkable and i th think actually one of them is documented in messengers of deception and i think he put it in very eloquent terms he said as a scientist um i was the person that, I, that could least afford this to happen to me or something like that <laughs> yeah and and there, there's, so there's a there's a book there's a fellow named dr kirby surprise have you read his book i have not read it but no. i so Dr. Kirby Surprise, uh, he's been doing a little bit of the online circuit, and he's been interviewed on a few podcast things, and that's where I've heard him. And he wrote a book on synchronicity. Uh, I don't have the title off the top of my head. Um, and he uh, he has some amazing synchronicities, and he's a funny character, and he's a, yeah. you know, uh, a good storyteller. Interesting that you, you mentioned crop circles uh, earlier, because some of my most remarkable synchronicities before meeting Bridget in the last couple of years have been in crop circles, and and that's something that I think is is really interesting to to focus on too. Is the way that I think that maybe if you look at the crop circle phenomena, crop, for, crop formation phenomena, I should call it. I think it's probably similar to the UFO subject in that maybe 
um, you know, a large percentage are possibly hoaxed, uh, maybe as much as like 90 to 95 percent, but there is a genuine phenomena there. And the phenomena would seem to be interactive in that even people who are hoaxing crop formations <laughs> sometimes have very strange experiences. And I'm going to be focusing on that on high strangeness. Hopefully in October, there's going to be a crop circle special about that. And I'll talk about my own synchronicities with crop circles there too. But just in a nutshell, I mean, the, the last time I went to spend time in the fields of Wiltshire was in 2009. And it was on a, a I was on a two week vacation, but only three days in Wiltshire. And this is what happened. And it, I mean, it was quite remarkable. So I got off the a plane uh, from Barcelona in Spain and went, hired a car at Bristol Airport, drove to the crop circles. The very first crop formation we went to, which I think was genuine, I mean, to other people there's been discussion about whether it was or not, but uh, from from where I'm standing, sometimes it doesn't even matter. The point, the point is there's a genuine phenomenon around this area. So we went to this crop, crop formation, and in the crop formation was a little child with a Barcelona soccer shirt on. Now, that in itself is not a synchronicity. It's, it's a coincidence at best, and it's certainly not no, notable. And I filed it away as just something that was, uh, you know, probably meaningless. However, very last crop formation we were in three days later, a woman comes up to us and she said, hi, my name is such and such. And I live in Sweden now, but I'm from San Francisco International Airport. Well, I stopped in my tracks because firstly, whoever says that, I mean, if you're from the area where the airport is in San Francisco, you don't say that. You say, I'm from South San Francisco or something. But here's the remarkable thing. We were flying out later that day to San Francisco. So all of a sudden, the little child in the Barcelona shirt had more meaning, the first crop circle. So, I mean, these things in, in themselves, this is what I'm trying to say early on about the way these things stack up. In, in themselves, maybe they're not that remarkable. When you, look, when you start looking at them in sequence... They, they, they take on more meaning. And on that way home, driving back to the airport from that final crop circle, the most remarkable thing happened. We were about, we stopped in a pub, and it was probably about 50 miles from that crop circle, halfway back to London. We walked into the pub, and I was with my girlfriend at the time, and we, we sat down to have something to eat and drink, and, and all of a sudden the look on her face totally changed. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, oh my god did you just hear that and I was like what she said the people at the bar are talking they're talking about us and I was like well they can't they, she said she said listen and I, and I actually carried on eating thinking she's just hearing things and I heard these two old men talking to the barmaid at the bar talking specifically details about me and my girlfriend that nobody could have understood nobody could have known and it's almost like we entered this parallel reality and we were looking over there, and it's almost like, the best way I can describe it is that time stood still. It's almost like I could go and t freeze things, I'd go and tap these people on the shoulder, and it w nothing would happen. And so for, for a period of probably a couple of minutes, we would just seem to go into this alternate reality where the people at the bar who we'd never met before knew intimate details about us and our lives, and we overheard them talking about this. And... I can swear that the, the kind of conversation these people were having was nothing to do with that. But I'm, I'm, I'm left wondering, did something happen to us in the crop formation that would alter our reality, you know, two hours down the road? And in a way that is, again, very meaningful to me and my girlfriend, but ultimately probably not that meaningful to anybody else.
except me. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I, this is exactly the stuff that I am drawn to. And, and just the fact that you said, you know, did something alter your reality? I, I, I think we have such a fragile understanding of what our reality might even be, how to even define it, that I, I don't think you're ever going to get an answer to that. But the fact that you say it is just to me is really important um, because I, I recognize that they're, that, that you're describing some of my experiences in a way uh, where I have been forced to throw out my old definition of reality, and now I am living with a new definition of reality that is immensely richer, immensely more playful, and more complex. I agree, and th- you know that's that's kind. Of, I'm coming to the the idea that maybe that's the way that this all works. Is the more you open up and welcome, the more you receive. And it doesn't always work as straightforward as that, but overall, is that what's happening? Because, you know, you talk to many um, lifetime UFO experiences, and, um, you know, I, I know well maybe, you know, 10 lifetime UFO experiences in their case as well. And most of them re- report the same thing in that they started off with quite negative, malevolent experiences, and they now, you know, in their 40s and 50s, don't have those anymore and they're now largely beneficial benevolent um is is that what this is about you know is is it's about progressing as human beings as is it on a journey is the journey being orchestrated by them right. yes is yes or is it being orchestrated by us are we and, and influencing just by our own thought processes our own uh, needs and and our responses along life's path are we somehow uh, co-creating these events? And are, is there another type of type of experience altogether, as in like me and you, Mike, where we don't have the stereotypical abduction events, or at least we don't remember them, but we have many UFO events and many, many, many synchronistic events. Maybe we're just a different type of experiencer of something that is ultimately all the one. And, and and on that note, look how both you and I are proceeding. You and I are both, we both have uh, uh, basically radio shows, interview shows. Uh, I know, uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I am taking it very seriously. When I do something else, when I'm like required to do like the normal work, I work as an illustrator doing uh, drawings for a living, uh, sitting at the desk doing drawings, which is what I have done basically since I was 15 years old. I'm very good at it. I'm, and then I find it, it, it is, I get no passion from it. I get uh, within the last few years, I, I'm, I'm bored with it. Uh, doing what we are doing right now, I am on fire. Uh, this is, this is, uh, I'm proceeding forward with my life as well, I if I think I'm an abductee. Yeah. I think it's a great I'm way to abdu- learn. Sorry to cut you off, Mike. I do think yeah. it's a great way to learn about this subject in a, in a very unconventional way in that you get to ask all the questions you've been dying to ask. Uh, a lot of people you may have been reading for many years. Oh yeah, it's 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 magical to me. You know what I mean? And and and, and I'm not I'm not beating around the bush. I it is um, it's therapy for me, doing yes, these absolutely. yeah doing these these podcasts. And, I have and, to say I'm full of respect for you though, Mike, because you know I, I just do a once a month show, and to me, I mean I do quite a lot of preparation for most of them, and you know I almost treat it like it's UFO research. But to do it every week, I would. Find oh, and I don't do it every week. Exhausting. Yeah. 
Oh, I thought you did. I'm sorry. I thought you did. No, I do. I do one or two a month. So you and I are kind uh-huh. of on right. schedule. So, but I do write a lot, and I do. You know, so if you there's a there's some essays and things like that that I'm posting. So, um, yeah. And I do have a lot of conversations with with folks who have uh, had the UFO abduction event. This is so hard. I'm mean, I still struggle with the words. You know, like the contact event uh, in their yeah, lives yeah. somehow. Hey, every time I say any of those words. Yeah, it's it, but um, so. Uh, so I do spend a lot of time talking on the phone with people or um, emailing folks and, and uh, including Susan Chancellor, who's been an amazing resource in this, in this thing. And she's very interesting because she's also in a way um, only within, geez, the last few months, really, if you get right down to it, has come forward with her own story. Yeah. I think it's what, it's been a year or two, maybe a year, probably less than that. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Again, you talk of Facebook. I mean, there's Facebook, you know, in action. I don't think Suzanne would um, would be in the, the the you know the the community if it hadn't been for Facebook. So nearly as much. I, and I see that she's going off to do her first um, talk at the the uh, experiences talk event, which is taking place in Gorham, Maine, which is uh, less is about nine miles from where I. Uh, where I told that story earlier, I mentioned the seeing the five uh, gray oh, aliens really? out my window. Oh, yeah, that was in a little town called Steep Falls, Maine. And if you look at the map, they're about eight or nine miles apart, the way the right. crow flies. Maybe a little more than that, maybe ten. But um, so yeah, so that's very funny. That's basically where I did my grocery shopping when I lived in that little hop- <laughs> house was in Gorham, Maine. Going back to this, this thing that Jacques Vallée said, well, I mean, do you agree with that then that people aren't really interested in research? I mean, because I find that fascinating, and I, and I think it's quite cynical, but. I kind of get where he's coming from. It, it kind of relates back to what I was saying with the, you know, we're in a society where you mentioned the word UFO to most people and they think of little green men and extraterrestrials. Well, I've been to a handful of UFO conferences and it is a weird, um, you know, it is a place with, with like, you know, sort of uh, true believers in sort of the negative context of that, that term, um, you know, that are just eager to believe in anything or the, you know, that people are sort of pigeonholed into their little itty bitty tiny boxes of research and, uh, you know, little things that may or may not be true sort of have a life of their own. You know, I'll just use the example of um, President Eisenhower meeting with with the gray aliens. I mean, that's like a piece of folklore that there's, there's like almost no evidence there's some odd little curious things where he was supposedly went to the dentist and then there's some question whether he didn't go to the dentist or not and i'm like this is like the guy at the height of the cold war you know there's probably a lot on his plate and if he you know uh yeah there's probably a lot we didn't know so but i i it's a very big leap to say that he was meeting with gray aliens and that's one of the things that you just hear at ufo conferences people will just kind of nod very smugly and say well when this all started when when uh Eisenhower met with those gray aliens and then and that's why we have these underground bases where people are doing these yeah. uh and now there may be some thread of truth there uh but but I'm just I'm far far too cautious to to swallow you know everything whole I mean you know I I, I think it's a fascinating story it's very entertaining I, I I'll give it that but I don't I can't I can't say that I'm convinced of the reality of yeah, I the think reality. It's, I think it's a part of the human condition as well that we, we are quite stubborn in that, you know, we, we, we develop a set of beliefs and then uh, a lot of us are, rather than taking new information and, and uh, maybe, maybe adapt our beliefs, a lot of us stay quite stubborn and we stay firmly in, in one camp or the other or rather than letting these uh, um, new bits of information or experiences maybe adapt. And, you know, I think mainstream religion is terribly guilty of that actually 
Yes, and I would also say that I feel like I am stubborn, where where I, uh, if someone had told me exactly the story that I have shared online, and sometimes I go back and reread my own writing, and I'm like, oh crap, you know, like I I know what this implies. The implication is like if someone had told me all the stories and and uh, that I've told. Uh, I would have to conclude that they're a UFO abductee, and then in, am I being stubborn by by saying that I that I, I refuse to take on that that mantle, you know, or I refuse to take on that title, or I, I you know, like am I just locked? Is it habit that I'm not taking it on? I, I don't know. Yeah. So so I struggle with these things. I, you know, whatever. I, I I look back at myself when I was like 11 years old, and I I acted the same way then, and I feel like I just I act the same way now, where I, I get all sort of uh, you know. Yeah. I, I look at so every single side of the equation, and and get so lost at a certain point. Yeah, me too. And you know, there's almost times as well where I haven't had anything unusual happen for several months, and I almost lose sight and lose interest a little bit, and then something will happened to perk my interest in fact um it happened only like three nights ago was the first time I, something unusual had happened i think short out outside of synchronicities um I, I had a remarkable synchronicity last week and i'll talk to you about that but you know the last time i saw uh, what i can say as a ufo was probably in february in england at bridget's house uh i saw always see a lot with bridget <laughs> that's another story altogether but um it, the other night uh I was I was working on the railroad and um, it was pitch black in the middle of the night. We got to a place called Longview in Washington, and uh, this yard—it's like three o'clock in the morning. This yard is pitch black. The only light I, I have is a railroad lantern, which are incredibly bright these days, and is amazing technology. So anyway, it's one of the most clear skies I've ever, I've seen since I've been here. It's been such warm weather, and you can see many many stars that aren't normally visible. And so I start just falling around. With firing my lan- lantern into the sky thinking you know I'll, maybe I'll, I'll attract something and of course nothing happened for about five minutes when I'm, I'm making this move in the yard I'm backing up my train the engineers on the other end of the train I'm the conductor we're going into this pitch black area of the yard and all of a sudden from the area where I've been shining the lantern shoots this huge white light I mean I'm talking about three or four times the brightness of Venus shoots out the sky the fastest you can possibly imagine and just hangs on the horizon and i can't tell you how far away it was it must be like you know somewhere between five and ten miles away i'm guessing and it stays there at that point i'm like shouting to myself holy shit and all the hairs on the back of my arms and neck are standing up and i'm like oh my god i i i'm thinking i made it happen i made it happen and then before I can really get my thoughts together, this thing shoots straight back up at the same angle, back into the sky. And that's that's it. It's like a little bit of confirmation right there that, you know, I haven't had anything for a while. I asked it. I invited it to happen. But would if I was with anyone else, would they have seen it? You know, how does how do, every event's kind of different and specific and and unique in its own way and you know that was probably one of the best things i best sightings i've actually had in terms of there seemed to be some kind of synchronistic or telepathic or psychic communication um certainly the the first thing that's happened to me for, for like i said since february so you know it's it keeps you going it keeps you and it, it makes me think that there's there's humor there as well you know because it's, it's like it's something that's kind of just messing with me in, in a certain way you know so, so this is going back less, well, probably about a month ago. 
um, I was, I live right near Grand Teton National Park and I was camping with my girlfriend and we, uh, it was a beautiful night and we didn't, uh, we looked at the weather and we just went out for one night and, uh, so we didn't take a shelter, uh, just gorgeous, clear, uh, skies and a similar latitude to you. So the sun stays up late. Um, we lay down and we're, we, and the sun is pretty much set and we're lying out under the stars in our sleeping bag side by side looking up at the skies and some things are obviously satellites yes. and uh and then one of them catches our eye and it like could be a satellite but for some reason we're like wow look at that one that's not that one interesting and for you know it was just a little dot of light in the sky um and uh now i this is um, as an american you may not be familiar with, are you familiar with a little toy called my little pony yes okay yes. So, so when i, w- I think that exports to England. I think that okay, I'm, that, I take some responsibility in that. When I when I uh, wor- I worked in advertising in the 1980s, and I worked on the My Little Pony campaign, and there was a so um, I worked on some of the TV commercials, and there there was a little tagline in the commercial. Every My Little Pony commercial had the tagline where a little girl would go, "I love you, My Little Pony," and um, and that has turned into a little bit of a cloying joke for me, you know. So I'll, I'll use that kind of thing, like you know at very cynical moments so i look we're looking up there at the sky and it's like calm and it's perfectly magical night and we're watching this one little dot and we're kind of saying like now that one's interesting and there's kind of a lull and i just say in a very childish voice i say i love you my little ufo and the thing (laughs) flashes with an intensity that was surprising like i mean it was like whoa like it responded like it wasn't and then we like it just we watched it go across the sky and then and then uh you know my girlfriend erica would say do it again and then it would flash again like completely upon our command uh, it didn't change direction you know like it and it it it's like not uh earth shattering enough i'm like whatever we're not going to start our own religion because of it but uh but what what we do have is like a very personal experience where we i felt like we were interacting with this thing right um yes so yeah so i i have i have that same experience but and that's uh, interesting as well i was at ESETI again um for their global transformation conference just for the last night uh, about a month ago maybe six weeks ago and there was a whole field of people i say i haven't seen a ufo since february i'm not thinking about ESETI because I didn't count that as my experience it was like 70 other people's experience but there's a whole field of people having the similar kind of thing and you know there there are lights in the sky that appear that look like satellites and then the crowd cheers and then they flare they flare up get brighter and then go back to being a point of light and just carrying on like a satellite and you know it's again it's like this are some UFOs not craft, not structured craft? Are they something else? Are they just some anything? I mean, they could be absolutely anything. I don't. I mean, James Gilliland was calling these things craft, and I'm like, well, I don't. I stopped short of calling these things craft. These things are lights in the sky. Exactly. Exactly, and and that's that's where like the true believers, you know, like oh yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I, I just I uh, you know well, that will you know, say, oh, it's our Pleiadian friends, you know, and I'm like, whoa, 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 back up, back up. I, you know, like that's a very, and I love the mythology of, of like the, you know, what the Pleiades may or may not mean. And I've, and I am quite convinced that there are people channeling and they'll say they're channeling from the Pleiades and they're getting, you know, they're getting very interesting information, you know, though, though uh, I'm just far too cautious 
to to that, trust the sources, I guess. The whole Palladian culture thing, you know, I have problems with that too in that I think Whitley Strieber summed it up best, you know, for if people have these experiences and then they kind of go down that kind of almost like it's a new religion kind of thing. It's a if they go down that folkloric road. He described it as, you know, you're possibly wasting your experiences by blindly believing in in all of this other stuff of which there's very little evidence. It's just channeling messages or whatever. I mean, there has been a, a whole culture grow up around this Palladian stuff. And Bridget's kind of a firm believer in that. She firmly believes that her, the, the beings that um, gave her experiences on the 405 freeway in L.A. and Topanga were Palladians. And I said, well, w- why do you think that? I mean, we, we, we don't have heated debates anymore, I mean, but it's kind of a d- discussion point. But that brings me on to my synchronicity that happened last week, and it's, it, it almost makes me think that maybe she's right. <laughs> so this is my, what happened last weekend. I went to my local bar, and, I, and, you know, to get things into perspective, I've lived here four years, and I've been to my local bar probably 40 or 50 times in four years. And I've probably spoken to strangers in that bar on probably less than a handful of times. Normally I'm there with my roommate or people I know, so I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not interacting with people I'm meeting at the bar. And that night, um, this elderly woman sat next to me and we strike up a conversation. And so it turns out that she's the chairperson of the community association. She's the head of the communi- community association. That afternoon, she'd been showing around our local senator, our uh, Portland senator, who was back and telling him the problems with the community and blah, blah. But it becomes, ob- it becomes evident that this woman knows a hell of a lot of people in this community. And so I'm having in the back of my mind, I, I need to ask this woman about UFO or paranormal experiences in this area because I've had a few. And so I'm thinking other people must. And if anyone knows, this woman probably knows. So then, she, then we get talking about my job on the railroad. And she said, oh, that's interesting. My father used to be a conductor on the railroad. So there's a synchronicity, but only a small one. You get the little one first. So then I caught the question, do you know of anyone in this area who's had any kind of UFO or paranormal or strange experiences? And she just looks at me, just completely blank. And she said, my cousin is George Adamski. <laughs> And she gets her card out, and on the card is Babs Adamski, and it is George Adamski's cousin. And I'm just like, I mean, we're both, I'm not going to believe this, but I kind of study synchronicity, and she's just laughing, you know, it was just, and I came home and I'm just like, it's almost like, I just wanted to laugh hysterically, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, I, I can't make head and tail of any of it, you know, it's sometimes it's just, it, it, it takes the wind out of me. So here, I'll tell a little synchronistic story that has to do with a crop circle that showed up in my area. This can be, I, I did a few posts on it, and uh, it, it, uh, I consider this one uh, genuine in uh, the sense that uh, it, I had the accompanying synchronicities. Now, obviously, I could have had those with a hoax, but um, there was, uh, so I went there the day that uh, someone, the woman on the street said, oh, did you hear about this? crop circle and i'm like you're kidding so i just hopped in my car i drove there i was actually talk, bumped into a guy in the street um his name is jeff and we both went there together and i was like god we gotta go and he's like yeah 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 let's go so we went there and there was a a, a woman there that was um uh doing research and her name is stace tussle and she has uh she's like a one of the i guess one of the 
premier North American cropsicle researchers, if there is such a title, she would, she would, you know, um, now, uh, so I start talking to her and, um, uh, you know, the conversation, you know, about the crop circle and what she's seen. And she showed some of the things that she'd been taking soil samples and she'd been taking, uh, you know, uh, she had dowsing rods. She'd been doing some dowsing and, and she had a compass and she'd been taking compass readings. And so very pragmatic kind of research. And then out of the blue, um, now you, I'm not sure if you're familiar with my illustration style. Are you at all? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, I do very, very cartoony stuff and I do a lot of hand lettering and my stuff looks like it could, uh, you know, be put in a little time machine and, and sort of clock back like 50 years or so. So, um, she, uh, and this is interesting. And my friend even commented on it afterwards. I recognized it too. Out of the blue, she said, um, Oh, I'm working on a book on UFOs. And me and my friend are like, Oh, Oh really? And she said, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I know the title and, um, and I, and it's, and it's uh, just interesting stories, uh, about, um, you know, people who saw UFOs and funny stories about people who've seen UFOs, you know, very comical stories. And I'm like, Hmm. And she said, you know, and I, and I know exactly what I want the cover to look like, but I don't have an illustrator. And, and this came without any kind of prompting. And I kind of go, oh, so what do you want the cover to look like? And she said, well, I want it to look like a comic book with hand lettering from the 1950s. <laughs> and uh, and my friend Jeff just starts laughing. And I said, wow. okay, here's my business card. You don't need to look anymore. I'm the guy. So, <laughs> And uh, now I will also add that I don't think I'm saying anything. She has been very open with this. She has her own website. She talks about her own set of experiences. Um, so Stace Tussle is also would fall into this realm too of someone who whose life has intersected with the UFO phenomena in a way that could quite probably be called contact or have whatever vocabulary word you want to use. Um, she she also told a story of being at the site of that crop circle early in the morning when there were no people around. It was kind of a scene. It was kind of a circus, I have to say. Um, and uh, she was doing, she was taking measurements of like pragmatic stuff she had a tape measure she was measuring the size of things in the morning and as she was doing that she looked up and she saw a what she referred to as a metallic grapefruit sized like little metal ball floating directly above the crop circle and directly above her um and so you know so that and i whatever i have no reason to doubt her uh and then she did quite a good report on where she she played you know, a strong investigative reporter and, you know, talked to all the neighbors and some of the neighbors did report anomalous lights that certainly went way beyond like, you know, kids with flashlights, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the farmer's field there. So, uh, yeah, so that would be that little funny thing with the, uh, wow. with the, uh, you know, her and, and I, and it was kind of unusual the way, the way it came up, you know, so, uh, the same way you said, you know, that the, that the person said, uh, you know, I live at the San Francisco airport. Um, yeah. you know, it was just, it was just socially, you know, it just was one beat off, you know, and I'm, have been yeah. kept quite close with, uh, with Stace over the last, it's now 10 years. It might be 10 years to the day right now, actually. We're just in early August, aren't we? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So 10 years, uh, so 2002 to 2012. You get a lot of crop circles around there, crop formations. Uh, no, no, this was it's absolutely so shocking to, that this would yeah. show up in my little town. Um, there is one about halfway between you and I in a little town called Wilbur. Yeah, uh, I was reading about that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. which, and it's interesting. Well, we get a few. We get a handful every year, or some years anyway. 
Yeah. You know what actually did happen to me, which is to me, it did not happen to me. Uh, what what did happen two miles down the road from me, uh, this crop circle is probably about 30 miles away. The one that I talked about, which is I live in a very rural area, which is 30 miles away, is basically the next town over when you get right down to it. <laughs> uh, so, um, but about less than two miles, about a mile and a half down the dirt road that I live on, uh, there was a cattle mutilation on, as far as they can tell, Halloween night of last, of 2011. Oh, really? There's no, there's no good way to know the date. We had some cold weather as well as, uh, um, you know, so no one no one knew whether it was November 1st or October 31st, um, the night it happened. Um, and, and, I, and, and I'm not completely convinced it, it wasn't predation just from, uh, you know, natural causes. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, talking to the, some of the folks that have been there, I went and talked to the, some folks or one woman in the sheriff's department, and I got to look at some pictures. And, and uh, you know, it... Uh, it was certainly she was quite shaken let me put it that way she's the the um forensics person in this little tiny county that i live in so she was quite ah. shaken about it it's interesting i mean there is the dark side to all of this and and you know this is uh something i ponder quite a lot you know there's the carla turner end of it which is you know studying military abductions uh being uh, i mean carla's research she thought that military abductions were maybe 50 percent of all abductees and, you know, I've since spoken to Yvonne Smith about that, and she says that she thinks the number's close to probably maybe 2025. But, you know, there is that side to things and the cattle mutilations and possibly hinting at some kind of human involvement with this t- kind of subject in, in quite a large way. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to try and piece all this together. And I think we all fall down if we start trying to think we've got the answer and it's just one specific answer i think there's probably the reality is going to be that yes indeed richard dolan's kind of right when he says there is a breakaway civilization at some to some level there is probably also some truth to what jacques valet is talking about and it's you know maybe not not extraterrestrial and maybe who knows there's even extraterrestrial you know who knows it may be an overlapping of everything you've just said in yes. some form or another and there's yeah. also the issue of now this is something that i just I had a conversation with a woman earlier today and she used the like the term a glitch in the timeline there and you even used it earlier today when you when you or earlier in this conversation when you talked about that that uh, overhearing the uh the conversation in the in the pub uh you know there is some odd uh distortion of the fabric of reality itself I, I, you know i say that i don't know what that means but i'm just using that as a as yeah. a uh uh so somehow something uh, is is interloping, something is bleeding over, something is distorting. Um, any attempt to try to to uh, define what that may mean, I think, would be folly on my part. But I, I do recognize that there is a part of it. So, you know, um, you know, what does it really mean when you say military abduction? Is it a guy in a suit that like lives in a house and gets in his you know car and drives <laughs> to the special base and then gets in the black helicopter? I mean, that may be part of it, but it almost seems like is it something that's interloping from another reality? Is has some? I mean, I'm completely going way out on a limb here, speculating as wildly as I can. But there is that element to it with that 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 seems to defy. That it's Joe Normal uh, that just happens right. to have a job with the secret government that flies the black helicopter. You know what I mean? There's something yeah. at play that is weirder than that. Yes, I agree. All the technology is is so unusual that it has all these kind of side effects that we can't possibly get a handle on right now. 
that that some of the side effects may be that they distort reality. Yeah, and and time. You know, I think that there's definitely um, throughout the the annals of ufology and the cases, there's there's definitely a lot of weirdness with time. And I mean, look at Bridget's 405 encounter. I mean, if she, if she was indeed abducted or taken, for want of a better word, uh, in that event. I mean, it was at rush hour on the 405 freeway in L.A. And if that was the case, then she was pretty much returned in a split second. I mean, if that is the case, and there's a huge question mark as to it, um, what else can they do? Uh, it, it, yes, exactly. And and uh, and and if, if things can be so theatrical, you know, can they just be appearing as as the military abduction? I'm just speculating here right. too because I, I don't have an answer. But right, and I had that conversation uh, with Yvonne Smith, uh, and she's going to be on my High Strangeness show this month on uh, the 19th. But I met her at UFO Fest. We met a good old chinwag, and I was saying to her, "How do you know what's a screen memory? Because the whole thing could be like a screen memory, right? I mean, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know." What's pantomime and theatre, as you put it, and what's not? We wouldn't know if these grey beings only appear as grey beings to us and could be some part of some bigger intelligence trying to communicate in a way only we'd understand. Yes, yes. And that's actually something Mac Tony is, um, you know, is it all a projection? You know, I mean, I mean, in one sense, is reality itself just a holograph that's presenting itself, I mean, as, a, as, a, as its own reality? So, um, yeah. and, and how little would it take to disturb that if you were somehow coming from a, a realm beyond our own, you know, how, you know, what would it take just to create ripples in our pond that would, right. um, you know, by the, so here's the story. This is a, the, this is the woman that I was talking about who lives in, uh, in your state. Um, she has a story where, uh, she had, she has interactions with the greys and she basically says the greys, you know, basically walk right through the wall. They just enter her reality. They like just, they walk right into her wall as if the wall, right into her room as if the wall didn't exist, you know, and then, you know, she's taken through the wall. And then she also has experiences with these beautiful, um, uh, sort of blonde Nordic angelic entities. And these, uh, these characters will land their UFO, you know, their flying saucer, just a little bit down the road. So what they'll do is they'll land it down the road, they'll walk up to the door, they'll knock on the door, and <laughs> and then polite. they'll enter the house. They're very polite. And, well, actually, she has a f- creepy story where basically her and her husband woke up. They knew something was going on. They knew something was approaching. They're both abductees. Uh, they knew someone was on the porch, and all of a sudden there's, like, the doorknobs turning. And they freak out! And then all of a sudden, whoosh, they to- they both get at the same instant get totally calm. They open the door. Here's these absolutely f- gorgeous, beautiful entities, uh, in one that they that she felt a familiarity with, uh, and and a str- quite a strong like loving bond with. Um, and then they walk together. The husband and wife walk together to the UFO, and she's convinced that the the nice Nordic blondes land the UFO a little bit away from the house because the actual act of entering our reality like tears a f- tears a hole in the fabric of our reality uh right. and and what happens is when the uh gray aliens just walk through the wall they're doing the same thing they're just tearing a hole in the fabric of reality and they just do their business and then they, they you know they go on their merry way but there's an after effect and she says after the gray aliens interact with the, her and her husband um they they the house is 
they have poltergeist-like experiences, yes. ghost-type experiences, things move around, clonking. And she's convinced that's because the the hole in the fabric of reality got torn by the less considerate gray aliens and the very very polite uh uh nordics know better and and they you know they politely uh, park their their flying saucer down the road a little bit so as to not uh plague her with poltergeist activity well it's it's nice to know that there's that kind of level of um i was going to say humanity but it doesn't work does it <laughs> in the universe there's that level of um you know manners and pleasantness that still exists somewhere else I mean, the thing is, um, when you look at it, I mean, again, all, the, all, these, all these things lead me back to this conversation I have internally and with other people as well. It, does it all boil down to this big cosmic battle of, you know, good versus evil or um, bad entities and good entities? I mean, you know, when you whittle all this down, you're left with these certain themes that s- seem to be universal, you know? Yes, and I think that that I mean, you know, there a lot of people seem to say like, oh, there's there's a cosmic war at play, and it's good versus evil. And you know, there's kind of if you get right down to it, there's evidence of it. You can kind of pick cherry pick the information, or 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 the avenues of your own research may lead you that way. I'm thinking of a of a researcher named Robert Stanley, who sort of comes up with that as his conclusion after his years and years of research that there is some sort of cosmic battle going on and our souls or the souls of humanity are, are you know at, at play or at are the bargaining tools or but um you know i think that's you just said it's a universal meme it's it's a uh, you know i th- yes. if if you uh are you familiar with joseph smith no. uh he was the founder of the mormon religion and he claimed to have found gold tablets in uh, upstate new york and um and then he found these gold tablets that were written in another language. And the way he translated them, which is, this is really trippy. And, and uh, he took a hat, right? So he had this hat. And then he would take a magic stone. So he set the hat on the table. And then he, and then he had, a, had a translator, someone writing down in the room with him. And he would take the, uh, the magic stone and put it at the hat. And then he would put his face in the hat. And then he would start, like, channeling from the great beyond what was on the the tablets and the story that emerges in the book of mormon is the classic good versus evil cosmic battles of the dueling gods and 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 i and it just like in a funny way i just you know if you if you put your face in the hat you're going to come out with a with a cosmic story um you know there's there's folks that have done uh gotten a little uh, off strayed from the path of doing um uh, remote viewing, and then they started like looking like, wow, what is going on? What's on Mars? Oh my gosh, there's a there's a cosmic war on Mars. Oh, it's good versus evil on Mars. And then they basically come up with the same magnificent story that that I'm sure that the uh, that the shamans or the whatever you would want to call it, the the elders of of Athens came up with. You know, when when the uh, narratives of the of the ancient gods, you know, uh, right. th- th- somehow these things just want to emerge from our from our the deepest part of our psyche and and you know that relates to the the good versus evil debate as well is that you know i'm quite fascinated by the the idea that if we knew how if we if, if we um had the knowledge that you know perhaps we are incredible as human beings and we have this amazing power if only we knew how to utilize it or had this information to become like masters of our own destiny and i think maybe this is something i think about about a lot you know i think that 
Anne Druffle concentrated a bit of her work on um, stopping alien abductions and stopping these kind of uh, benevolent events and came up with quite quite a lot of stuff that, that actually she thinks can stop these things from happening and there's evidence as well and I've spoken to people in the UK who've, who've managed to stop abduction events uh, using the Lord's Prayer using Buddhist mantra you know this stuff is out there and it makes me wonder what kind of power do we really have as human beings? I mean, if this is some super advanced extraterrestrial civilization, how can that possibly fit in with that? Um, is it not a spiritual phenomenon? Is it not some kind of spiritual phenomena? And we as human beings have the potential to be incredibly powerful if we can do that. You know, that to me is that we are incredibly powerful is the secret. I mean, whatever, like that's the, you know, that they are interested in us for a reason. Um, you know, somehow or another, we are uh, interrelated, intertwined. They are our cosmic cousins. I, you know, they are our cosmic zookeepers. I don't understand. So what a Charles Fort said that, you know, we are property and that very well may be true, but we may be very valuable property uh, for reasons that we can't even comprehend. Um, right. And and all those little things, because I've heard those two and I've heard some researchers say, oh, no, no, you can't stop, you know, a, a, an abduction by using the Lord's Prayer. And then other people will say, oh, you can. And then, you know, uh, so. So, yes, there's a there's a big muddled. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's very murky going into these waters. But the, the, the you know, you step back and try to look at the bigger picture. You know, something is going on where they are intertwined with us for some reason. And yeah. I don't know what that reason is. And a lot of people, I've been told by people what that reason is. You know, everyone that tells me tells me something different. So uh, I'm forced to conclude that, that, you know, only, you know, they all can't be right and they all can't be wrong. So I, I you know, I had an experience and I don't profess or claim to have any abduction experiences that I can recall at all. But I did have one strange experience that, that maybe is in that ballpark and maybe it just um, made me think of it because we're having this conversation um, maybe there's something to this. I w I, about two years ago, I think it was 2009 again, um, around winter solstice, I felt like I should go out to Yakima, which is an, an Indi a town in Washington. It's kind of a, a large amount of UFO sightings there. And I went out there on winter solstice and stayed out till about four in the, four in the morning, didn't see anything in the sky at all. Came back to the hotel and at, to get a couple of hours sleep and as soon as i lay down i became aware of a presence next to me in the bed now being chicken shit scared <laughs> I, I didn't open my eyes i just felt this presence and i started having what i perceived to be a very negative experience and so i'm like thinking i don't know what's going to happen next so what do i do i start doing this buddhist mantra and Almost instantane instantaneously, this experience, I mean, the presence I felt didn't, didn't leave, but the experience itself turned into the most incredibly blissful, positive experience. And here's what happened. I didn't open my eyes. I started, it was like the best transcendental meditation you've ever had. And it went on and on and on for about four hours. I didn't get a wink of sleep that night. And it started, I had these waves of energy starting at the top of my skull and going all the way down to the tip of my toes. And they would just come waves and huge waves. I mean, the whole thing was literally, you know, just so orgasmic. And it, eventually the light came in the morning and I felt this presence gone. 
did I change that experience? Did I change what was going to be something that was dark and menacing into something that was incredibly positive? Do we bring our own energy to this um, in some way? I mean, is it the way that we view this? Does it actually have a bearing on the kind of experiences that we have? Yes, yes. I mean, that you are asking all the questions that need to be asked. That, um, you know, there is no, on the MUFON form, there is no little, you know, uh, there is no little box that you check off when you ask the witness, you know, did you have a spiritual awakening? You know, when, <laughs> you know, which I think there should be, you know, <laughs> or, you know, the, out of five, you know. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so, so here, let's just, so, so you said that, 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 that you, you just described a very powerful event, um, deeply personal, doesn't, there's no UFOs involved except for the intention you had to, to see something on, on what would be a, oh, you know, a, a, a day that would have some sort of, uh, mystical resonance, which would be the, right. uh, winter solstice. And it was a totally spontaneous thing. I mean, it was literally that afternoon. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Yakima. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So let me ask you. So, what's how, def, use a vocabulary word to de- describe this spontaneous thing? I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, whatever. I, I, would you? Did you feel compelled? I guess I'm leading you completely by asking it um, like that. I can't. I can't. Uh, you know what? I think I did. I think that I was. Uh, I was pretty down at the time, and I was thinking, you know what? I just want to get out of Portland, and I had it in my mind that. I, I think I was wanting to have some kind of spiritual experience and maybe that's why I got it. You know, I don't know. Um, but, but that was at a point, you know, when I wasn't actually thinking that the UFO enigma was anything necessarily to do with spirituality. I mean, this has all happened in the last, this, this way of leading me down this path has been the events of the last year and a half, really. And so at that point, you know, I think I was still probably firmly in the opinion that I thought that these were extraterrestrial craft flying about and, that was that. Yeah. So okay. So and and now, what was the impact that that experience had on your overall life, on the on the on your path? You know, I think it was absolutely life changing. I came back and I told everybody about it, and I said, you know what, this thing happened to me out there, and I can't tell you what it was, but hell, it was really good. You know, it was really, and you know, the kind of thing. Here's the thing that's a, the, the bummer. I've spoken to other people about this. It's like when you have some of these like really powerful experiences, they kind of wear off a little bit. And you go back to, you know, your normal self after a while, which kind of is really disappointing because you want it to last forever. But that's, I think, as well as part of the human condition is that, you know, you can, you, you can, it's a lesson and it's, it's up to you to choose what you want to do with it. It's not all given to you on a plate. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I know exactly what you're saying because I, I feel like if I had some, like I haven't had like the blissful experience you've described there, but I've had some experiences that, that like I can just, you know, in my life, I can say that this, at this point, my life changed because of this event, uh, this synchronicity, yeah. like, and, and, uh, you know, I can say that about one event in particular. Um, me too. Actually, that's, that's strange. Cause me too. Exactly. And my event would be right. Going to ESETI, writing that article for UFO matrix. And through that, my life completely changed. Yeah. And I had an event where I, um, was, uh, I started a blog and I initially the, my blog was just synchronicities. Um, I just was writing about synchronicities that I'd had in my life. And, and I knew at some point I was going to have to write about the, uh, the UFO events, 
uh, that then the implication of those and you know one of them was a missing time event and I had to, and uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast has heard this story a million times so I'm just I'll tell it to you very quickly yeah. um, uh, walking home from a high school football game when I was 14 years old have you have you heard this story ever no I haven't mind. okay okay good good so um, uh, it feels like I, I this is like the one that I, I kind of need to tell over and over again because this is you'll, you'll recognize the power in this um, so walking home from a high school football game in 1974 with a friend of mine his name was also Mike uh, that we would have both been 12 years old we would have been in seventh grade uh, this would have been in rural or excuse me suburban Michigan which is uh, you know idyllic at that chapter it was you know beautiful night you know the kids could walk around the neighborhood at all times so it was just a delight so we walked the football game uh was still going on and we left early because i wanted to see a television show uh and i knew the television show started at 10 o'clock and i knew i wanted to get home well in time for the television show so i should have arrived home i'm going to say approximately 9 30 uh there was a spot in the neighborhood. There was a woman's hot woman. She was a girl at the time. She was also in the same grade as both me and Mike. Um, her name was Cindy. Uh, and then, uh, so we get to a spot in the neighborhood, and I, I can go. I could go back and put an X on the sidewalk, and this would have been in front of Cindy's house. Uh, we get to that spot. There's a bright flash in the sky. Both me and my friend Mike are 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 uh, something jarring just happened. Right? We both are like, you know, like, whoa, what just, what, what happened? It was the best word I can use is jarring. We talk about, was it a meteorite? Was it a lightning? Was it uh, like an explosion somewhere far away? None of that seemed to make sense. It was absolutely silent. It just felt like God flipped a light switch and turned the nighttime sky bright orange for a second and then flipped the light switch right back off. Uh, uh, we walked to my house. He lived a little farther and through it, farther into the neighborhood. So, um, I said goodbye to him. I walked in my house. My parents were angry at me. And I'm like, what are you angry at me for? And they're like, well, you're, you're not, you can't be out this late. You're only 12 years old. You shouldn't be, you're out way too late. And I'm like, no, it's only 930. And then they looked, at the, they, they pointed to the clock and it was getting close to 1130. Um, oh, wow. So approximately between an hour and a half and two hours of missing time. The next Monday in school, um, I remember this very clearly, uh, having a conversation with, with Mike and some friends and then uh, he says, uh, you know, I say like, oh, this weird thing happened on Friday night. I, we, you know, we saw something. It was odd. And then he said, yeah, we saw a UFO with lights and everything. Actually, the direct quote was, which he said, I remember this very clearly. He said, yeah, we saw a UFO with fucking lights and everything. Um, <laughs> so, and I immediately, whoop, clammed up, never brought it up again, never brought it up with him, never talked about it. I, and <clears throat> now uh, I had that story written up as an essay. I was going to put it on the blog. The blog at that point had just been these kind of trite, pleasant, synchronistic stories, which I've had a lot of. Uh, and then, so it's all ready to go. I actually have a, a Google Earth image of Cindy's house in the neighborhood. And it's uh, and I put a, a yellow X on the sidewalk. Um, so, yeah, X marks it. So I I'm got my hands over the keyboards. I'm getting ready to to like compose it into the proper format for the blog and then just hit, you know, update or, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I realized I'm a coward. I can't go through with this. I am a coward. Uh, and then at that moment there was an audible ping and I, um, I, I checked my, uh, email. That was the email. And it is an email from Cindy, her, her last name, I'm going to call her Gail. That's a pseudonym I've been using. She's asked me to use that. So it said, Cindy Gale wants to be your friend on Facebook. Wow. 
I hadn't talked to her in 37 years. That's incredible. She chose that, I mean, that microsecond. And it was very interesting because it was the microsecond I was completely in doubt. And then wow. that shifted from complete magic. Um, so, uh, yes, so there's there's a little bit more to the story as far as... So do you think then that these kind of synchronicities have deep meaning like that obviously is incredibly meaningful and powerful to you changed my life changed my life yeah but but do you think these synchronicities can also happen as almost just like you know they're not important they're a byproduct of something well you know some synchronicities are more powerful than others you know like i see the number one two three four on a clock and it might have some sort of synchronistic meaning or um but uh but this one in particular was so powerful just because it was you know i mean uh, something is going on. And then uh, my my little rule as far as synchronicities is, you know, it's impossible to read into them in any logical way, right? Because it's just, you go down the rabbit hole and you can read them in any number of ways, you know. But the only yeah. thing I'm left to come away with is pay attention. You have to pay right. attention. And, and I, what... I almost think as well, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but the more I have the, those kind of things, and that's a really remarkable one that you just, you just said that, I mean, that's mind-blowing. Um, and, you know, I was saying earlier about I'm not sure how some of these synchronicities that are very personal to you translate to other people. That one you're telling is that really translates. I mean, that resonates for one of, you know, to use your language. I mean, that's that's very, very powerful. But, I mean, it almost feels to me that the more I experience, the more I want to experience, and therefore I do. Yes. You know what? It, it the, I, I talked to a fellow... Um, named Alan Abadassa Green, who wrote a, wrote a book on synchronicities, and, or he edited a book with a bunch of authors. Uh, and he talked about, which is a great metaphor, he says synchronicities, and I, have, I, and I very much have done this, uh, synchronicities are like, um, imagine you're on the ocean on a cloudy day, right? You're in, a, you're in a little boat, and all you have is a compass, right? That compass is important because you have no way of knowing where you are or the direction you're traveling unless you have the compass. Uh, and then the synchronicity is is the compass bearing the synchronicity is is the magnetic pull of that of that compass and that you uh all you can do with a compass is check it every once in a while and and uh and and so if you i have made very much an effort to lead my life i'm you know sometimes i fail at it but i've tried uh to lead my life using the synchronicities uh as that compass on that cloudy day. Do um, so you see them almost as like signposts? Yeah, signposts on a trail. Yep, and oftentimes the signposts are difficult to interpret, but I think I can figure out whether to turn right or left at the fork. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I've had like this argument for, with a lot of people about, you know, are these synchronicities that happen to me? Do they mean something? You know, for example, meeting Bridget. Is it, does it mean that we're meant to be together? Or are we soulmates? And, you know, let me tell you when that kind of thing happens to you with another individual it very much feels that way but then there's the eve Logan side where it's like well these entities and these these things can mess with people's lives and they feed off that you know there's there's two sides to everything and there's different ways of looking at everything you know i mean it's one of the things where you can i mean uh if if there comes a day when i realize the synchronicities aren't working and they're not like treat they're not like enriching my life on that path and and then i'll just drop it you know and i'll and i'll i'll find some other you know or whatever i'll just 
I, I won't put as much uh, power in them. But at this point, I, I find that uh, that they do have their own power, and I recognize that, and then uh, and and it has been rewarding. Um, yeah. It has not been easy. It has been challenging. I mean, it would be easier to uh, you know to just do my illustration work and and ignore yeah. all this UFO stuff. And so. here's a thought as well. You know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here as well. Maybe we have these synchronicities as well. That that basically they're 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 there. To not necessarily guide us in the specific direction as such, but also, but, but more so just to um, expand our consciousness and uh, our view of the world we live in and our place in it. And that works completely because I'll tell you, I'm a different person to the person I was a year and a half ago because of this. Yes, yes. And, and I would say that um, in the conversation I had with Richard Dolan, you know, he basically said, you know, if you, you know, well-educated and you, you know, went to a nice university and you, you know, you, you, uh, uh, you know, had that formal education and you had a synchronicity, you would deny it. You would ignore it because it simply wouldn't fit into the paradigm. And that's, that was something that Richard Dolan said. And my response was like, that is a failure of our society, of our educational system, of our collective definition of reality. Um, because yeah. I mean, I use the term magic. Some people hate that term, you know, like, cause you know, it's like I say, you know, whatever, maybe there's some sort of technology behind it, or maybe we'll define some physical property someday. But at present, these are magic to me. These right. are magic. It's a magical experience. And I have to give those experiences the power that they are due. Um, I, and at the same time, I don't, I, you know, I, I, there was a chapter where I was pretty shook up. I got kind of, you know, I got dragged down in under the, you know, in the undertow and it was challenging. Like I got very freaked out by all this stuff. Um, yeah. And, and if you go back to some of my older blog posts and I mean, it's right there. Like, I mean, it is right there on the surface. You read my stuff. You can just sense that I was like shaky and fragile and, and, uh, and, well, I uh, think and the, you know, the unknown is, is, is a scary place, especially at first. And I think, you know, that's common with many people who have experiences to do with UFOs and, and in the related phenomena is that, you know, you do go to a dark place straight away because that's, you don't know how to deal with it, you know, unless the experience is so unbelievably positive, which is, I think, you know, um, it, 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 to start with, not necessarily common, but, you know, I think that that's human nature as well. It's like you, you start questioning everything at first. Your own sanity. Crazy, yeah. Et cetera, you know. Yeah. Hey, let me just check the clock here. That we've been—we had no set time here. We've been at it for an hour and forty-nine minutes. How are you holding up? I'm good. Let me just um, let me go and get, make a cup of tea, and then let's do another twenty minutes because we want to talk about owls, right? Sure. Well, that might mind. Do you want to take a break yeah. and then come back and then? Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Great. Great. Bye. Yeah, this is going great. This is, uh, you know, I, it's interesting. I don't know if I've even asked any of the questions really that are on my list here, so uh, which no, is fine. This I've, is. Yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's really nice to talk to somebody else who has, you know, very similar interests and experiences. It's very unusual for me, actually. Yeah, no, that was the reason I um I was so persistent in a way. You said a few things on that on on the radio program that you did in. Uh, Oh, the whatever the the in February or so, and I was like, "Ooh, this guy is like him and I are on the same path in a way." So I was I was I was very aware of that then. So no, it's, it's great. It's been, I'm really enjoying it. Good, um, good. There's just one thing I wanted to pick up on what you said uh, that Dolan said about you know if you're at university and 
you're an academic and maybe you have these synchronistic experiences you're in denial you don't acknowledge them and i i think that's an interesting point because i i i was reading that uh there's i can't remember who it was someone recently wrote that uh basically in the military the higher up you go in the chain of command the less they believe in ufos and kind of esoteric technology and stuff in the conventional uh, uh, military and so i thought that was kind of interesting because it kind of ties in with that but um is it a case that not everybody's having these amazing synchronistic experiences are certain people on that certain path and are open to them and other people are too busy going to work nine to five and maybe watching reality tv to even understand their own reality or even care about it you know it's like interesting i i think that you know as i said earlier i'm of the opinion that we are all living in our own reality and we, we all define our own personal reality to a certain extent and and I, I think that's what's fascinating about this yeah you know um i i uh so my girlfriend and i have a conversation and she's and i say in the kind of this pompous way like wow you know people with ufo experiences well they really have synchronicities it's like no one else can you know compare because you know it's the ufo you know contactee or whatever that's having these powerful experiences and she kind of rolls her eyes and she says anyone on a spiritual path will be having synchronicities and yes. and, and she was right and so then then you know one way to you know the next step in logic is to say well then the ufo experience is a spiritual path uh you know i don't know if that's right or not but it was a very interesting way to frame that um and so something about this experience could be called, you know, uh, a spiritual journey. Right. And I think that, it, as I was saying earlier, I think it's really important not to pigeonhole the entire UFO subjects into being a spiritual phenomena, because there could well be elements of it that the military has taken some kind of informational technology and created a nuts and bolts phenomena that's based on this other esoteric phenomena i mean it can how deep does the rabbit hole go you know but i do think that the, the the essence of this the more i experience the more i read and the more i think about stuff it makes sense that this does appear at least in part to be a spiritual phenomena and that's borne out by what we talked about earlier in these lifetime experiences their experiences changing as they grow um, older and they grow spiritually and that's certainly happening with me i mean it's you know my experiences are seeming seeming to be growing exponentially yes and and i mean the um the the implication is that there is a level of intention that you are putting out which i would right. i would agree that i do it myself and that the that the universe is responding in kind you know it is it is recognizing your intention Yes, absolutely, and you know, and that's <laughs> there you go. You're going right, right back into religion, and you know, <laughs> the basis of all religion and all these big themes again, aren't you? Well, that's right the thing. I, I've said this before, and that, that's something that about the um, the UFO phenomena. You know that uh, uh, you know you start talking about like little dots in the sky, and it doesn't take too long before you're talking about the meaning of life, and you know what's the definition of God. You <laughs> right. know? Yeah, pass the ball again. <laughs> yeah, so so I don't know. You know, I, I had this. I used to. A friend of mine used to. He, him and I would get in these like sort of tit for tat like arguments, and and uh, you know he would say one thing, and I would go, oh yeah, well this, and he would like you know we'd talk about spiritual stuff, and then he would like look at me, and he'd roll with my, his eyes, and he'd be like, I cannot believe you don't meditate, and I would look at him, and I was like, I cannot believe you don't read UFO books. Um, <laughs> so, 
whatever that means. And he yeah. very much could be having like profound synchronicities because he's a pretty spiritual dude, and he you know he's meditates all the time, and so you know he's right. on his own spiritual path. Yeah. But it, you know, it, it it is fascinating. The whole thing is, and and how does that relate to religious experiences with UFOs and uh, non-human entities? You know, I mean, they, they have to be related in some way. I would have thought. Yeah. Hey, um, so the, in your interview that I was listening to just before we connected here on Skype, um, I was listening to you talk, which I'll put a link to that interview, um, of you talking with uh, Bridget, your fiance, and about um, and some owl stuff came up. Yes, we had, uh, you know, I was I became friends with Suzanne Chancellor, and um, we started working together on, uh, you know, her story and her experiences. And this was at the same time I've been working with Bridget. And, you know, there, there became some really strange juju between those two. We'd have these synchronistic events. And at one point, they turned actually quite dark. I, I think I go into it on that radio show. Um, but we had what we call a printer scanner day. Oh, yes, and, yes. And, you know, it was just, just a remarkable day of weirdness and high strangeness uh, that Bridget experienced that kind of coincided with some high strangeness that Susanna had at the same time in L.A. Um, anyway, the owl thing, um, there, was, there was a couple of events that involved owls. One was that, uh, was, when I was speaking to Suzanne, she was saying that there was an owl that was kind of camped outside her room at night, um, and it kind of was kind of almost watching over her. Well, at the same time, Bridget told me, and, and you know, I, I didn't pass information from one to the other. There's me caught in the middle with all this information. So it was almost like I was the only person that could dissect this. At exactly the same time, Bridget's telling me there's this owl started camping outside my window. So that was one synchronicity. I'm not, I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the, the broadcast on High Strangeness. But uh, then, you know, we ha Bridget had this day of printer scanner day, and people can go and listen back to that broadcast to hear about that, which was, like we said, quite stressful. Um, it felt, you know, dark to Bridget in some way. But anyway, I went over to the UK last November and we were talking about this as we were driving uh, roughly in the spot that, that something had happened to Bridget. And we started talking about this event with Suzanne. And at that moment, literally like two minute, two seconds after starting to talk about this, this owl flew out of the hedge in front of the car. And it would have hit the car, but we didn't hear any impact. And we didn't hit, we didn't see anything we didn't hear anything now bridget's uh printer scanner day involved an owl as well the owl basically flew directly into her windscreen and almost drove her off the road i mean she, the impact was very very harsh she um brought the car to a stop and this was this was exactly the same time i worked out or not exactly but i can only work out within about 20 minute time frame at the same time suzanne was experiencing claps of thunder in the clear blue LA sky in September and you know I have to say my, my summary of the, the entire experience between Suzanne and Bridget's interaction was that in some way they were connected and I don't know how or why they've never met I think they've only spoken a couple of times but it was it, it was it was incredibly uh, strange for me to be caught in the middle of that researching Suzanne's case and Bridget's case at the same time and there were times when I actually was very, very kind of nervous about it all. And there was one experience in particular that I haven't gone on record about, and I'm still a bit shaken up about, that, in, that basically involved something happen to, happening to me in my studio um, at the same time the two of them were talking. 
uh, one of the times they actually spoke on the phone together. And to this day, I mean, I'm, there was a very, very strange energy and event happened to me. And I spoke, remember speaking to Suzanne afterwards. I mean, I didn't speak, speak to Suzanne for a couple of days afterwards. I was that um, shaken by it. And she said, Suzanne actually said something. She said, um, you actually need to not look at that as something negative. You need to look at it as something that's, a, that's, that's designed to a, a learning experience, that's designed to help you learn about something. And, you know, the moment I started viewing it that way, the fear went and actually things were fine again. And, again, I take something from that. Again, it's going back to how we view things. Does it affect the paranormal? Does it affect these experiences? How could it be that the moment I stopped fearing it, this this lifted and uh, maybe that's my perception you know maybe it's my paranoia how will we know but that's certainly how it felt to me and it was very powerful ha huh, this is you know so i have had um that the owl thing shows up and you know obviously there is the uh you know you look at the the classic literature of the of yeah. the abduction phenomena and then you know people will say like i was driving down the road at night and there was a five foot or four foot tall owl standing alone on the road <laughs> and then the next thing i knew i was like when i got home it was three hours later you know so those those stories where the owl with the big black eyes is a screen memory for what quite probably is a um uh you know a, a gray alien and some sort of abduction event um so you know there's that um, what I've experienced, I feel very confident, is something entirely different. And and uh, it's interesting. So just the other day near my house here, there's a uh, we had a uh, like a summertime little fundraising festival for a nonprofit uh, that's uh, you know trying to preserve some of the open spaces here in this you know, agricultural valley I live in. And then uh, and one of the things they had was a uh, some they had uh, a raptor center in a nearby town brought some uh, predator birds. So they had uh, a golden eagle and some hawks, and they also had an owl there. And um, so I was talking to the, not really a biologist, but a, you know, a, a, a birder who had been studying the things. And I said, so here, let me tell you some stories. And I told him a few of my owl stories. And he's like, uh, and I'm like, you ever hear that before? Did you hear like anything like that before? He's like, it's like, nope, never heard that before in all my years. And it's like, okay, here, let me tell you another one. And so I tell him another story. He'd kind of, you could see him kind of like, inching away from me in a little bit and and I would tell him another story. So here's another story that happened with the owls. And so so um folks who have listened to the show have like heard me go on and on about owls, but uh, I should probably pick a story. Uh, so this is if you know if folks are listening they can just fast forward through this and but um this would have been right at the dawn of my uh uh, coming to terms with the, the looking into the own set of experiences. And remember I said I was I was uh when I decided to look into this, I was plagued by synchronicities. And this would be very early on in this. So this would have been, I'm guessing, 2006. I could look it up and figure out the date exactly. But um, the summer of 2006, so six years ago, uh, there was a young woman, very attractive, uh, who lived in the town here. And um, she had been spending the summer here, and she was due to move at the end of the summer. And I was like, oh, you spent the summer here. Oh, you must have gone camping a lot. And she said, oh, no, didn't go camping hardly at all. And I'm like, listen, I go camping all the time. I go out for one night. I just leave the house. I, if it's going to be a nice night, I don't bother taking a shelter. And I walk into the mountains, and every, it's spectacular. So she said, oh, that sounds wonderful. And I was like, listen, I'll, I'm doing it in a couple of days. I'll give you a call. So we go into the mountains. It's, uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, this, this is a complete stranger for all, you know, so I didn't really know this person. I just met her and, and, and I said, I would, you know, the next time I go camping, I'd give her a call. So I gave her a call. She said, yes, we went into the mountains. The sun is setting. There comes a point when I realize 
like oh my good so i'm i'm uh, i teach outdoors and i'm very very comfortable like you know cooking on a little camp stove and stuff so i'm making dinner on a small little camp stove and we're sitting on a rock in this beautiful field of wildflowers in a big high uh, rocky mountain environment and uh, the sun is setting and and I, and all of a sudden i realize like wait a minute this girl this young woman is this she is impressive she is smart and spiritual in a way that i did not expect and then right at that moment um uh I, we see an owl fly above us and then uh all of a sudden we realize oh no wait there's two owls and then a little while later like oh no no there's three owls so these three owls fly above us while we're eating they just fly they land near us they land in the trees near us they swoop around us they circle around us it just goes on and on and on um finally we basically lay our sleeping bags down on the ground uh, it's nighttime. It's inky dark at this point, and we're you know laying on our backs, looking straight up in the sky. And then the owls, which have very very uh, interesting feather system, where their their feathers are alternated with a flight feather, uh, and it, for flying, and then a down feather that that makes them silent. So absolutely silent, they would fly right above our faces and block out the stars for just a microsecond. Wow. Um, so. Uh, and a few other odd synchronistic things happen. So the next uh, couple of days go by, and I say, listen, I'm going to go out again. Um, she's like, great, you know, like, I'll go with you. So we go to a completely different spot in the mountains. Um, it's cool that night, so uh, it's like, listen, it's chilly. Like, what we should do is, is before we climb in the sleeping bags, let's walk up to that hill. So we're in a beautiful meadow up high, um, and there's this one sort of rolling hill that's just maybe about uh, – you know, less than five minute walk from where our tent is, and it's totally open. We're in a high elevation without many trees, and so so we walk up to the top of this hill, and we get to the top. The sun sets, and then as the sun is setting, one owl lands near us, then two owls, then three owls. So these three owls land near us. They hang out around us as the as it gets dark. We have our flashlights with with us, so we can walk back to our tent in the dark, um, and and basically it's the exact same experience. Now, this uh, this actually threw me for a loop. I, I kind of like, you know, went off the deep end. I got so freaked out and flipped out about this. And, and I cannot tell you how many like owl, you know, websites I went to and how many, uh, you know, sh- uh, you know, what do you call it? With the oracle cards, I looked up the owl meaning of owl and stuff like that. So, but uh, uh, so later on, it's probably a couple of years later, I, I, I contacted her name was Christy. I contacted Christy and I said, Christy, like, I remember we were talking when we first saw those owls. Do you remember what we were talking about? Because I remember you were talking when that very first owl showed up. And, I, and I'm drawing a blank on what we were talking about. And she goes, oh, yes, I remember exactly what I was talking about. And she, she said, I was trying to give my deepest definition of what God meant to me. And that's when the owl showed up. And, I mean, that is, a, that is an odd detail to this entire story. So the religious thing again. Or, or, you know, what the universe means or what the fabric of reality means. I mean, all those things can kind of be defined as God in some way or another. So, uh, and I've had, let me just say, I've had a lot of stories that are almost exactly the same as the one I just told you. Uh, there came a point when I when I said, like, like if I saw an owl off at a fence post, you know, like, a, like I'm, I'm driving down the road and I see an owl on a fence post on the side of the road and I drive past it, like, nope, that's not going to count. I literally said out loud to the universe, like, I am not going to pay attention to owls unless they cross my path. 
and I, I literally made this sort of declaration. I think I was out in the mountains when I said this, and I said it in kind of like a you know William Shatner esque way, and in kind of trying to make my my uh, you know my my point. You know, like I was just like, okay, this is you're overloading me, universe. I, I need a, a you know I I need to, to put this in a parameter. So a couple days later, I'm writing my thing as well because um, there's a danger with all this stuff to start looking for stuff that just isn't there. You know, so you do have to have a kind of human filter. You're you're editing this kind of. Uh, information and phenomena I, I i think that's very sensible you know so in a couple of days later i was riding my bike through the little you know town i live in and and uh and, and uh as i ride down the street it's twilight uh, an owl flies out of a tree does this gentle swoop down right in front of my eyes and then swoops back up to a tree on the other side of the of the <laughs> of the street so i'm like okay they're like i got my answer okay this is uh... so now um i ask everyone that's on these podcast this is one of the questions i ask whitley streber i've asked richard dolan i've asked everyone like okay what's the meaning of owls and some people say well you know owls have a meaning in mythology and blah 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 and so so uh, you know like, like okay but so the last podcast i did was this, this guy david weatherly who just wrote a book called black-eyed children i don't know if you've heard of this book no no super freaky weird scary stuff that he's kind of delving into um and uh so and he throughout the, during the interview he said, you know, like, oh, I've been interacting with some Native American shamans, and I went to Tibet, and I, you know, interacted with some Tibetan shamans, and and then at one point he said, oh, I had a near-death experience as a child, and right then I knew. I just, like, I bur- I just interrupted, and I was like, are you a shaman? And he said, uh, yes, I am a shaman. And then so I was like, okay, here's, what are the, what's the owl stories mean? So I tell him a few owl stories. And then without skipping a beat, he says, um, this is a shamanic initiation. And that is the best definition I've I've ever had anyone give of what the owls might mean. Um, when you say initiation, what do you mean? I don't. I don't actually really know. Like a shamanic initiation is like the initiation process. If you were to be the 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 village shaman, you know, like if you're living in the right. jungles of of Brazil, and um, you know, and and the, the, you don't. They don't. Um, you don't choose to be the shaman, right? That's not. It doesn't work that way. You don't sort of raise your hand and say, "I want to be a shaman." Like when I grew up, you know, you are you are initiated by by the nature spirits, in essence, to be right. the shaman. Like the the elders recognize who's going to be the next shaman by these mystical events. That's things like owls flying in threes across your path and stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. Or seeing yeah. UFOs. You know, yeah. um, I mean, all of this sort of blends together. And I don't know what the role of the shaman is in our culture today, but all I can say is that I'm, you know, I am acting as if I'm, I don't want shaman is such a, you know, heavy-handed right. term, but I, I am like writing about this stuff. I'm doing these audio interviews just like we're doing now. Um, I'm making an effort to connect with people. So, so I am, my life has changed. Like I am not the same person I was six years ago before that owl event before the uh the um uh the funny facebook event with that woman cindy well there's two things you that you brought up just there that i find interesting as well you know i have this conversation a lot as well with um i've got this really heavy ringing in my ears right now um which, which is unusual it's not normally this this powerful um i'm trying to regain my track here um Two, two things that you brought up there. One is that, you know, are people who have these experiences, the, the, some of them seem see themselves as special in some way, or chosen for, you know, I'm looking for terminology. 
and you know i have a i have a problem with some of that because you know just because someone has these ufo experiences or these synchronistic events who are we to say that we are special or not you know um the the other thing that you brought up hang on i've lost my train of thought because my my ringing in my ears just got really crazy in a way wow. it hasn't done for well it doesn't do normally just one second that's really crazy that's really crazy i mean it's like normally i have this background ringing like always but it's kind of like times four or five so it's it's making me hard to uh to focus um i've lost my train of thought completely sorry no, and I, in this, uh, and I'm sort of, I'm sort of recognizing that we're both, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about deep stuff right now, and and then, uh, which is exactly what I want to do on these things, and then, uh, you know, you are having an unusual experience. I, I had a, I was talking to someone on one of these podcasts, and then I almost like passed out at the at the table here like i'm sitting at my desk and the next thing i know i'm like my vision is blacking out and i literally like almost clunked my face on the desk i kind of caught myself right. and it, it went away but i was like good grief what is going on and that doesn't happen to me at ever thing you ever get that thing where you know you're talking about really deep things and all of a sudden your head just hurts and it almost feels like you shouldn't really be talking about this do we, if we, we can change the subject if that's what your heart no, is no, telling oh you. no, no no i'm not saying that's happening to me now i mean the ringing is is another thing entirely but do you ever get that uh you know i i not so much that I I I feel like um, you, I do feel like when you get to the really really deep stuff that's like it's almost like uh like it like like we as humans can't sustain that you know what I mean like the really deep yeah. conversation you can't have a deep I conversation that lasts an hour you can have like a little spark in the middle of a good good conversation. Oh, I know what I was going to say, and that brings me on to the other thing that I I was going to say, in in that you know, this these experiences and what it's done for me you were saying you know your life has changed and i was saying that earlier too the thing it's left me with is that i really really want to get this kind of information out there and i guess that's why we both do radio uh, podcasts and it, to me that's vital because i see that as our only chance of really changing the outside world and changing everyone else's reality if they're not experiencing these things because hey if even just one of us is, is experiencing them what does that say about our society? What does that say about our culture? What does that say about our science or our, you know, you know, we have to rewrite, rewrite some books somewhere, you know? So to me, that's what I'm left with. It's like, it's, it's really important to me that, that, that if I have these experiences, I talk about them and that's part of like doing the GRA and that's part of doing the podcast. And I'm sure it's the same with you. You were saying you find it incredibly valuable to you. Oh yeah. 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 It's therapy at the same time. It's, it's like, sometimes you get to the point where you get to like little, you know, you can, the conversation can turn into something that's, that, that, that heightens in a way and you can tap into some, some interesting stuff. That's, um, and, and, uh, what's happened in, for my podcast series is that I've, I've got a listening audience. Uh, I don't actually get that many hits. I get it like, you know, 400 like listeners is a lot, you know, like I, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, maybe over a couple of years, I've only been doing this for a few years. So, you know, like, I, you know, like the most I've had is like a thousand listeners on one podcast. And, but, um, was that Whitney, Whitney Strieber's one? Well, well, that would actually, you know, who Andy Colvin, uh, uh actually has like 2000 and I don't know why he gets right. so many hits, but I think he's got something linked to his page or something. But, uh, uh, I think I came across you for the first time. I think Suzanne 
sent me a link. It was uh, you talking to Whitley. Oh, that was a good interview. Yeah, that was a great interview. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. And um, really good. Uh, okay, where was I going with this? Um, uh, oh, so um, no, I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, we've been we've been talking really deep and heavy. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're kind of wrung dry a little bit. Uh, yeah. The um, uh, oh, I was talking about the reasons of uh, that I do this. The the power that these things have. Oh, oh, so here's what I was going to say. So I have a listening audience that, uh, as far as I can tell, is people that are not necessarily uh, like, you know, full-blown uh, abductees that are publishing books and, and doing the lecture circuit that are, you know, fully at peace and aware of their own set of experiences. I have a listening audience of people who are dealing with, f- f- like, funny memories and uh, my cat just walked in, and she's meowing like crazy. What is it? Can you hear? No. Oh, okay, she just walked in. She's running around my feet right now, meowing. Um, so, uh, so I have uh, an audience of people who are are perhaps coming to terms with their own contact experience with this UFO phenomena, where they have a set of life memories, and um, uh, and I feel very strongly that that uh that this blog my and my my uh my these audio interviews that is the audience i'm aiming to the people that are in a place of of confusion and questioning and and those that 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 life experience from my own first-hand knowledge can be very challenging and so yeah. that's the audience I'm aiming it to. I'm not aiming it to, you know, a great big wide audience like Coast to Coast, and and uh, and I yeah. and I'm and I'm confused myself, and I'm trying to be as articulate and and clear about that confusion in a way that uh, that that perhaps can be helpful to to some of the folks listening. Well, that's the thing I you know I think about the subject is there's room for everybody in all different types and all different roles. And I think that, you know, your blog has its its role and its space and will continue to develop that, just as hopefully my show will and my writing. And, you know, the Coast to Coast is dealing with long-distance truck drivers driving across America at night. And, you know, that's another audience altogether. I mean, the UFO community is actually quite small. But I think you're right in that there's probably a lot of people who've had maybe one or two anomalous experiences that they can't quite come to terms with or pigeonhole they might even think that to, to do with the ufo subject at present and maybe they come to places like you to kind of find out a little bit more and maybe take that next step yeah yeah and i met a woman uh at the at the ufo conference in february in uh outside of phoenix arizona the open minds conference and she you know her and her husband um, she's had some life experiences and, and, you know, so I spent a lot of time talking with her and then I remember she like stepped away and her husband kind of, uh, you know, took me aside and said, listen, she really pays attention to what you say. And it made me very aware of like the role I play and how, I don't want to say careful I have to be, but let me say, uh, maybe honest that I have to be in this realm. Yes. So, you know, I have to be really true to myself. And I think as well, you know, the, the, here's the problem I'm having is that I, I haven't really done too many interviews. I think this is only the third or fourth. I'm used to interviewing other people. And with, through my writing, I've basically 
put myself out there as saying, hey, I had all these synchronicities with Bridget, and this is how we came together. So, of course, that's what people are going to ask me about. But then there's a part of me that's kind of uncomfortable with it being so personal. But, I mean, I, I'm not blaming you. I have only myself to blame. I've, I've laid, made my bed, you know. So it's, it's just something I'm going to have to come to terms with, you know. Well, and also, I mean, just sort of like, you know, even in your own research, it sounds like that book that you're working on, you know, the Bridget story is 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 going to be, uh, you know, deeply personal. I mean, there's no yes. other way to write it. I mean, she's she's your fiance at this point, And and that the uh, the and to me that I mean, as far as like just what makes a good story is something that's deeply personal. So, uh, yes. you know, I I. I, I my only advice as you proceed forward is, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be personal stuff and private things that you're, you know, that, that will, you're not going to want to share publicly. Uh, and then, uh, but I, but all I can say is just be as honest as you can be. And then what I try to do is if I'm, if I feel something or I sense something, I just simply say that. I just simply say like, you know, I feel this or I sense this. Uh, there are plenty of people out there in this realm that don't do that. And then they say things like, I know this and I have a certainty oh, of this. I'm very careful. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I walk around the block three times with, uh, you know, making sure that I explain that I, I don't know the answers to these things. Yes. I think that's very important. And, and I always uh, try and, and say, you know, I, I don't know everything. And I'm, I, always preface it with things so i you know because what's to stop stop from two years from now me saying right now i know something and two years later i feel exactly the opposite i don't want to be people be quoting me saying well you've changed and i obviously i have but you know i think it's tricky yeah we're 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 you know everything is evolving everything is changing and if you stayed if you didn't change that would be like almost more you know bizarre to me and then um you know, the, all I can say, and this is, I say this sometimes too, is that what I do know, and I know I can absolutely, I, I feel confident declaring this with certainty that something is going on. And I can't go much beyond that. You know, like something is at play here. Yes. And I think that, you know, I, I'm coming to the belief that, well, I'm, there you go. I made the mistake we just talked about. I'm coming to a place where I'm thinking more along the lines of, there you go, that's prefacing it loosely <laughs> with the, the, you know, as I keep saying that everybody's perception and reality is slightly different. And that explains why my neighbor never sees UFOs and he never has the, some of these experiences and why his neighbor to him, next door to him does. You know, I think that's, 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 why, that's why there's not this disclosure that's why there's not this landing on the White House lawn, is that this subject, maybe disclosure happens on a personal one-to-one level, and that would obviously indicate that it's more of a spiritual phenomenon. That's not to say that there's, there's not physical ground evidence, that these things aren't real in some respect. That's, that I'm not saying it's all in the mind at all. I'm saying that actually I believe it, it does have a physical reality, but the way it interacts with what we call our reality, I think that's, that's fundamental to our understanding of this and I think that's where we we're probably getting it all wrong and I think that's where we need to work really harder trying to understand how this interacts with our reality and what we're calling reality yes and I, and I think you summed it up beautifully there um you know this is that's the mystery that's the uh you know in 
you know, the terms of your reality, like, what does that mean? You know, like that's, that's like, you know, that, that is such an open-ended term. Consciousness is an open-ended term. Consciousness, reality. I mean, they use these words all the time and you know, what do they mean? You know, maybe even if we, we could define them, maybe we need to redefine them two two minutes later, you know? Exactly. And then some scientists will like add a different, you know, uh, you know, what's, who knows what the, CERN super collider is going to tell us of reality and, you know, what, uh, you know, the children who are in elementary school now, you know, when they're adults, you know, wrestling with these same things, you know, what new vocabulary words they might use. You know, I don't think that people 50 years ago used the term like parallel dimension. And now we throw that word around like it's, you know, it's like the be all and end all of like, you know, what, what might be behind all this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we've been at it for, it's going to be close to two hours now, um, a little over two hours. Um, wow, really? Already? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's 1140 here. So we started at nine. Yeah. My time. So 10, 11. Yeah. Um, this has been, this has gone great. I will, uh, uh, anything you want to share to, as a summation here or anything you want to add? Um, I'll just just say that what I've got coming up in the future, um, my High Strangeness show, monthly High Strangeness show on Global Radio Alliance, uh, forthcoming guests, I mean, I've pretty much booked it out to the end of the year. And as I said, um, this month is going to be Yvonne Smith and a couple of members of CERO, her uh, Close Encounter Research Organization. Uh, One lady called Kim Trotman, who I believe it's her first interview I met at UFO Fest. She's lovely. And she's going to talk about, and she's a she's a qualified hypnotherapist too, that works with Yvonne, and I and a guy called Jesse who um, is one of her Sarah members as well, and then um, September I'm hoping to get Whitley Streber on, and um, who else have we got coming up? October is a crop circle special, but I'll keep you in touch. I'll, I'll keep you informed of all that, and then the other thing I'd like to say is that I've also started to work on a book outline for the Thomas Reed case. And I know you've had Thomas on your show as well. You know, I never uh, did. I never did have Thomas Reed. We, we called. Oh, I thought you did. Okay. No, no, what we did. So we had it all lined up. We, um, we, we, uh, he'd been doing a lot of interviews. And so we connected on the telephone and we talked for a little while and we, I was all set up just like this, ready to go. And then he kind of goes, you know, all of a sudden we started talking and I could tell he was kind of, and we just had this like three hour heart to heart. It was great. I have the utmost respect for Thomas Reed and, and what him and his family have gone through. And so instead of doing an interview, we talked for three or over three hours and um, not a bit of it was recorded. And, and uh, uh, I have since had other conversations with him. And yeah, I have a ton of respect for the guy, for the guy. Awesome. Yeah. Well, his case is fascinating and, and it's quite complex, as you know. And so I've been working a little bit with Thomas. Um, he was on High Strangeness in May. And we, we managed to get his mother to talk for the first time, 72 years old, and come on the record and talk about her experience in 1954 with um, entities in, in Maine. And that was quite remarkable. I mean, it was, uh, I didn't, it was, it was a, uh, you know, I went into it thinking that I have to be careful here. And a 72 year old, never spoken about this, didn't really want to do it, I got the impression. And you know what, it was absolutely fantastic. She was, she was great and it was, it was quite compelling, actually. It was really, really interesting. I, I yeah, listened. I listened to that one. That was great. I was blown away, and that was that was the just the stuff from the the mother was was so matter of fact. And I can't. She basically said, "Listen, you know, like I'm just." She said it out. You know, she she didn't sound like she was exaggerating. Didn't sound like she was embellishing. Yeah, and and to me, that's um, 
you know, they're like these. When you've got other members of the family talking like that, I think it's absolutely powerful. It's very powerful, and um, I think it was great that he managed to 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 get her on and, and do that. Um, so yeah, we're working on a on a book outline, um, and hopefully that will end up being a book too. But you know, I've got so much on. I'm I'm loath to take anything extra on, but that came out of nowhere, and I kind of thought, well, you know, it, it, to me, as far as I'm concerned, it seems to be one of the best. Uh, family abduction cases I've ever come across I thought well you know it's too good to to pass up so we're gonna we're gonna work a little more on that and there should be another uh, there should be a there should be a magazine article as well about the same time as the book outlines completed so um, that should be out I'm hoping for this fall uh, great this has gone this has gone beautifully and uh, and I and that there's gonna be a day when we're gonna talk again on this in this format so uh, Absolutely. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. I mean, the two hours went like five minutes, you know. Yeah, great. Good. Okay, well, um, say hello to Bridget. I've only said hello to her on Facebook, of all places. And, and then and then one more quick question. Um, what's it like living here in America as someone from the UK? I'm genuinely curious. You know what? I, I, the Pacific Northwest, I love. And there's a part of me, you know, I really like it here. Um, I first arrived in, to the US in California and being an English guy that was kind of a little too hot for me but I kind of got used to it in the end but um no I've I've, I've really enjoyed living in America I've never ceased to stop feeling like a tourist though I have to say <laughs> everywhere I go I'm like wow this is incredible like the scenery and you know the wide open spaces we just don't have in the UK well, yes I've spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest so I have a deep deep appreciation for the the terrain there and the smells there and the you know the wet weather and the ferns and so um i guess i think that maybe we've got like a couple of hours of good stuff there right oh yeah yeah i i think i think we've got uh, some really great stuff in here and um and and i like the way it all fell together you know we had gone back and forth and sent emails over the previous uh, bunch of months and then uh, late this afternoon you sent me that uh, that email and it basically says hey let's do it and you just said tonight and i said great let's do it and uh, and it just fell together and um I-, I thought it went great i think this will be a great interview yeah i love the conversational yeah. style where it doesn't feel like we're you know it's not like a very you know dry interviewer asking a question and then, and then yes. you know I, I you know what this is the first one i've done without any notes at all and any kind of thinking about it and to be honest it feels a lot better i like it a lot that's because no. i knew you were going to be on my wavelength so you know great sleep well all right cheers mike i'll speak to you soon bye now all the best bye hi this is mike i am chiming in uh after doing all the editing hey uh we did something interesting here that i had never done before this is not uh this might only be interesting for me but uh i recorded my interview at my end using the skype recorder and Lauren recorded his interview at his end, also using a Skype recorder. Uh, what that means is that our voices were quite clear talking directly into the computer in a way. And what I did is I cleaned it up by editing out the Skype recording that came through Skype, if that makes sense. So so basically what I was doing is just cherry-picking the best bits of dialogue and the clearest bits of dialogue and editing all those together. Oh, it was a little bit of work. Uh, it wasn't too bad. It actually went pretty quick. And uh, it, the uh, audio quality turned out spectacular, I thought. Um, the very first, I think, six minutes of the interview, 
is uh, what would be standard Skype audio. And then after that is my editing back and forth. And uh, it turned out great. I, I would love to do this uh, for for all my interviews if I can. Anyway, just uh, I take a very hard line on how crappy some podcasts are. And uh, I work just to make sure that these are... Uh, are of a very high quality, the best I can do. Um, sometimes it's hit or miss, but uh, I do take pride in that. Now, um, I will also uh, apologize to both Lauren and to you, the listeners. I drank a crap load of coffee right before this interview, and uh, what happened was I turned into kind of a crazy, frenetic chatty pants. I felt like I spoke too much and listened too little, and I'm not proud of that. All that said, I, I think we did touch on some great stuff, and I look forward to talking to Lauren again. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.